106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. New information about the Jussie Smollett hate crime hoax. Yeah, that's right. You haven't heard that name in a while, huh? The mainstream media dropped that story like a hot potato, didn't they? After they realized they could not blame President Trump and they could not blame white people wearing mega hats. Well, lucky for you, we did not drop the story because newly released documents from the Chicago prosecutor's office reveal that the prosecutors debated how to explain why they were dropping the charges against Smollett. Yeah, I guess that would be pretty hard to explain when it was so obvious that Smollett faked his hate crime, paid somebody to pretend to attack him, and lied to the police about it, and wasted police resources, and falsely accused the two brothers of hurting him, even though he scratched his own face himself so as not to permanently damage his moneymaker. So the new documents, what do they say? The Cook County prosecutor, Kim Fox, publicly announced during this investigation that she was recusing herself after she spoke to family and friends of Jussie Smollett, which is obviously a huge conflict of interest. But the new documents show that Fox was willfully misleading. She did not formally recuse herself. She was still highly involved in this case. She just didn't do the media hits. The new documents reveal an email sent to Jussie's lawyer suggesting that the prosecutors will say that they're dropping charges because Jussie is such a dedicated citizen. What kind of dedicated community citizen wastes police resources and lies to police and divides our nation by race and political affiliation and accuses half the country of being racist and stages a hate crime? I'll tell you what kind of person does that, an elitist Hollywood leftist who knows he will not be held accountable because of his leftist politics. This investigation was never about justice, and these new documents prove that. And so I'll leave you tonight with this question. Since the charges against Jesse Smollett were dropped, does that mean the prosecutors believe him? If they believe him, if they believe this was a real hate crime and not a hoax, then why are they not still investigating it? If this was a hate crime and not a hoax, why didn't they charge the two brothers who admitted they were part of the attack? And if the prosecutors can't answer those questions, and if they drop charges but refuse to continue to investigate or to press charges against the people who admitted they attacked Jesse, well then, they've caught their own leg in a rabbit trap, haven't they? That is how you know this was never about justice. This was a horrible, racist, political stunt to get a higher salary and instead of being charged for lying to police like he should have been, Jussie Smollett was left off, let off because his politics matched the left. And these do new documents prove it. And that is my final point. Welcome to the 10th episode on June 8, 2019 of No Hostages Radio. However you found us, we're happy you're here. And uh, we're going to be here for a little, probably a little over three hours. Uh, we don't fill any time with uh, news reports or anything like that from the traditional mainstream media. What we do is <clears throat> whenever I need to take a break, about every 30 minutes, 
Uh, we play some educational clips that I've chosen throughout the week. We're here for uh, this time uh, once a week. We put up these shows on Saturday or late Friday night, but they're usually available early Saturday. And we uh, are talking about all kinds of things from around the world, national and local. Local for us is Northern California. Uh, for, we hope that one day Northern California, we, what we mean by that is north of Sacramento, which is the capital of California, uh, we hope one day to be separate from the state of California. state of California is a big place. It's got a lot of people, almost 40 million people, one of the uh, larger, most diverse uh, places or states in the United States. The terrain is very different from one end to the other. The people are very different, and they've chosen to live one end or the other or on the coast or inland uh, because of their preferences and beliefs. And many, many of us in the North believe that we have a very different, we don't dislike people in other parts of the state of California. We may not agree with them. doesn't mean we have to dislike them. But we just feel we need different uh, politics. We need different rules. We need different regulations. We have different concerns in the North, different needs than they do, say, in urban uh, San Francisco or urban L.A. So we don't want to be controlled by people in the urban areas when we're living up here in the rural areas and ag area and mining area fishing area uh just totally different right so uh our forefathers never intended for anybody to rule over us they intended everyone to have maximum amount of freedom to determine their own destiny the uh Declaration of Independence talked about that all people are created equal. They don't all get equal results, but that's up to us. But we're all created equal, and we have a, a good shot at, uh, at life. So what we don't want is to have one part of the country controlling another part of the country. Recently, there's some states that are liberal states that are mad because Donald Trump won. And uh, he won the electoral college votes, but he lost the popular vote, vote according to uh, the liberals, and I think maybe by a million and a half votes. But when you look at, I think I covered some of this a week or two ago, when you look at the electoral college, <clears throat> it really represented the cross-section of the country. And, and so when you look at the popular vote, just a few counties, a handful of counties in the entire United States of America. There's over 3,100 counties. Just a handful of those counties that are densely populated with liberals uh, shifted the vote to Hillary Clinton, but didn't change the Electoral College vote. And so uh, many liberals want to eliminate the Electoral College and not have in equals not allow all states to have an equal say in the election, but uh, have no problem with the um, very dense states along the east coast or the west, you know, the western uh, counties on the le left coast or the east coast. They don't have any problem with them controlling the rest of the country as long as their candidate wins. Right? The electoral college was a uh, it was a brilliant thought. 
And so it gives the sparsely populated states the kind of power that they need to even out the heavily populated states. And they don't want to Montanans and Wyomians and people in Utah and Idaho. They do not want to be controlled by people in downtown New York or San Francisco or L.A. And they shouldn't have to. So that's the beauty of Electoral College. It's a beautiful thing. And it is fair, it's reasonable, and uh, it's, it's kept our country together. If you want to see the country split apart, uh, try to eliminate the Electoral College. So uh, glad you're here again. Uh, usually the first half hour, I just I mention a few anecdotal items that I've stumbled across throughout the week. Uh, either I ran across them reading or in social media that have kind of caught my attention. And this is a, a comment by Justi Justice Clarence Thomas. If you're unfamiliar with the Supreme Court of the United States, Justice Thomas uh, is a black man. The blacks uh, that have a black agenda, a liberal agenda in this country, hate that. They, they call him a white man or a plantation nigger. And so, uh, but Justice Thomas has uh, served very well, uh, all people on the Supreme Court. And he said this, people who will get very upset if someone said all blacks look alike. You ever heard that? All blacks look alike. It's a funny statement because it's not necessarily racist. I, I go to Asia a lot, in Vietnam, Cambodia, China, some, Laos. And every once in a while in, in Vietnam, uh, somebody that maybe I've just met, they'll they'll. Uh, misstate my name they'll call me another name another anglo name and then when i say oh no 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 i'm lou uh lou benninger they'll say oh 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 you guys all look the same you all have long noses from the west and it's not a racist thing at all it's just people used to seeing their own people and like for instance when i go to vietnam the first time you go there you think oh all the all the vietnamese look alike well as you get to know them they don't look alike at all you, because you begin to your eyes begin to differentiate features and so it's not a racist thing but but uh thomas he knows very well what he's getting at here he says people who will get very upset if someone said all blacks look alike which they obviously do not no uh, particular ethnicity does. So people who will get very upset if someone said all blacks look alike are really comfortable saying all blacks ought to think alike. Now think about that. Many blacks say blacks ought to all think, think alike. And uh, liberal whites think all blacks ought to think alike. Isn't that interesting? Now, you, you saw the racist uh, Barack Obama, former president. He used to refer to his people. Do you remember those terms? His people, my people. He'd say my people. Now, when he said my people, he wasn't including me, Lou Benninger, a white guy. He was only talking about black people, even though he was supposed to be representing all flavors as president of the United States. He, had, he was totally comfortable was referring to my people, even though he was half white, his mother was white, his father was black. But he didn't have any problem with identifying with the black side to the exclusion of, 
of the Asians and the Mexicans and the whites, etc., etc. Isn't that interesting? And they, they accuse other people, white liberals accuse other people of being racist. It's totally nonsensical. It's a lie. It's, it's a fraud. It's misinformation. It's fake news. So I'm going, to say, I'm going to read it all together again. People who will get very upset if someone said all blacks look alike are really comfortable saying all blacks ought to think alike. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at the voting history of blacks over, say, my, my lifetime, uh, which I was, uh, I'm a baby boomer. And so when I started paying attention to elections, it was about the 1960s when I was going through high school. And it became clear to me that blacks were voting for liberals up in the high 90 percentile. Like, I think for Obama, there were like 97 percent of the black voters in the United States voted for Barack Obama. Interesting, right? Now, it's also interesting if if that holds true in almost every election where uh, liberals uh, where you have a liberal candidate. And it's interesting to note how the blacks have been a cheap date for liberals because the liberal party in the United States has not served the black people well. You know, it's, it's isn't it interesting we use those terms. The party has not served people well as if that, that we're so dependent on politics that we can't just get up in the morning, go out and make a living and take care of ourselves. But we have to, government has become so massive that we're dependent on going to government and begging for a handout. All of us are. You think, oh, well, yeah, it's the welfare recipients. No, it's a lot bigger than welfare. We have corporate America, like the ethanol producers, the corn people are going to Trump right now begging for him to expand a product that is totally a loser, ecological loser, and uh, it's a loser for in every way. It has not cut down CO2. It is not is not good for the environment, and yet now we have a corporate America wanting for a handout from the taxpayers. So this uh, people are going to government for all kinds of uh, business goes to government all the time to get favorable rulings on regulations in their favor to help their business. So, uh, but recently in the Trump election, remember Donald Trump said to the black population. What do you have to lose? Because you've been jerked around by liberals since you were brought to this country. Now, again, there's misinformation, fake news and fraud. Because the blacks have been convinced by the liberals and they don't they're not thinking very deeply. They've been convinced by the liberals that somehow that racism. That uh, the fight against civil rights that the attempt to keep them on the plantation and even after that, the attempt to keep them from having voting rights and keep them from having the freedoms that the rest of the country has was basically a conservative conspiracy when it was 100 percent the opposite. It was a liberal conspiracy, and it's it's been going on whether you look at the votes. It's all recorded in history. You look at the votes in Congress against civil rights, against freedom, against the vote. Uh, you look at the fight, the Civil War, all having to do with liberals wanting to hold on to uh, subjecting one ethnicity to another, 
crazy. So uh, Clarence Thomas, and you'll notice this, anytime you have a black man or woman start standing up and talking like a conservative, that just causes the hackles on the neck of all kinds of white and black people. You know, we have a lot of white people that think they're black. Did you know that? Remember Rachel Dozell? She was a Norwegian woman that changed her hair color, put that tone on her face to make her darken up. She she frizzed her hair to make it look like she was maybe a half and half. And then she became, I think she was the head of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. Totally a fraud. She just uh, re-identified as a black person. Just like some people re-identify, some men re-identify as a woman. Or some women re-identify as a man. And I, I saw a hilarious photo on the social media where looked like a major league baseball player standing up in a little league game saying he was re-identifying as a six-year-old. We have we have women right now that are men, athletes that are uh, high school athletes that are identifying as women to compete with women. It's just it's totally nuts. It, we've just lost our our minds. Benjamin Franklin said in 1787. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs, governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid? I'm going to read that again. 1787, Benjamin Franklin spent his life inventing and creating. If you wonder if we don't have the thumbprint of God on us, you can look at Benjamin Franklin, a creator, inventive guy, uh, just contributed, contributed, and contributed to the United States of, the, of America and the blessing of it. I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid? He believed, you know, all these debates, oh, did they, they didn't really believe in God. You know, we all have a different sort of concept about Jesus and following God and interpretation of the Bible, etc. But the fact is, obviously, he believed that God Almighty had a hand in the, uh, the rise of the United States of America. Very, very interesting. And it's interesting. I always wonder this. How often do you have to tell God to go to hell and get out of your life before he actually takes you up on it and lets you do this on your own? Because our country, even though all the famous buildings have scriptures put in the walls and uh, we have all kinds of uh, scripture-based laws, uh, but yet we're just trying to purge every bit of God out of the land. And I also, you know, Israel did the same thing, but they just, they just basically ran, a, they went a whoring, the Bible says, a whoring or prostituting themselves after idols and demons. We do that here in Marysville, California. Once a year, we, we, uh, we bow to Bacchae. It's a demon down the street here from where I'm sitting. And we think it's, oh, so it's just a harmless thing. It's so wonderful. It's not it's not harmless or wonderful at all. It's actually uh, it's actually farting in the face of God. 
And then you wonder why Marysville struggles so. Everybody's wondering, oh, should we put more trees in? Oh, should we, oh, should we, we route the business around town? Oh, should we be more kind to business? Oh, should this? Oh, should that? And then we, we honestly, we offer our city to demons. And then we wonder why we have problems, because we are godless people. So here, here's another anecdotal thing that I thought was interesting. It just tells how we've lost our minds here in 2019. It says we live in a society where homosexual, homosexuals lecture us on morals. Transvestites lecture us on human biology. Baby killers lecture us on human rights. And socialists lecture us on economics. Isn't that fascinating? Let me say that again. We live in a society where homosexuals lecture us on morals. Transvestites lecture us on human biology. Baby killers lecture us on human rights. And socialists lecture us on economics. Boy, you, you should look at the news if you haven't been paying attention. Google Cuba and Google Venezuela. Just Google your way around the world on socialist countries. And, man, you want to talk about some suffering and peeing people trying to get out of the country and off the island it's radical bad 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 and all these people that have been blessed by capitalism and free enterprise in this country and turn around and say now they even though they didn't make one nickel off socialism they made it all off capitalism including your professors that do little but get paid a lot in in universities they uh, turn around and then want to honor uh, socialist ideologies. Pretty crazy. Here's another one. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about abortion in states in the union uh, saying we don't we are not going to approve of abortion. We're not going to fund abortion anymore with public tax dollars. And we're not going to allow abortion clinics to kill children anymore in our in our state. And so now there's there's a, the blue states, the liberal states are now like Gavin Newsom, our governor here in California, is now he's trying to promote abortion tourism. So if you're in another state, which are things are difficult, uh, you can you can fly out to California and they'll treat you right and help you get an abortion. And uh, you might even go to the beach after you go to abortion or go to Disneyland. And in fact, Gavin Newsom may get some discounts for you. But there's a lady named Margaret Sanger, and this, this information is very easy to track down. This isn't like, oh, investigative reporting. How did you figure this out? Uh, you know, how did that work? All that kind of stuff. And um, so it's just very easy. There was no question that a woman named Margaret Sanger lived, had a horrible childhood, uh, got, got, be, began to believe some really strange things. In fact, she uh, was a part of a group of people called eugenists, E-U-G-E-N-I-S-T-S. And they believed that, uh, that we evolved from monkeys and that some ethnic groups, they called them races, instead of like the Bible teaches, there's one human race. And people just have have different genetics, genetic pools, and look different. Some people have lots of hair. Some people have little hair. Some people have straight hair, kinky hair, whatever. So uh, Margaret Sanger and her group of eugenists believe the Charles Darwin theory. 
uh, that uh, different groups of people, different ethnic groups, evolved at different paces, and some were smarter than others because of that. And so blacks and minorities were slower evolving and were sort of the pests of the garden and the weeds of the garden. And they believed that, that we could have a, a brighter, healthier, more intellectual human race who all thought alike if we could just kind of do some proper breeding. And that would be to help uh, planned parenthood came out of this and help them eliminate the people in our society that were mooches and leeches off society. So Margaret Sanger was a common speaker, a frequent speaker at the Ku Klux Klan. Now, why would she be there? Well, because many of those people believe that the black people that were brought here from Africa were of a different race, and it was a slow race, a mentally deficient race, and that those people actually could produce, they were prolific producers, reproduced, right? But they weren't smart people. They were actually disabled intellectually. They were savages. And so she would speak to the she would go speak and encourage the Ku Klux Klan to keep up the good work, to keep these people, which are kind of like animals, under control. It's kind of like keeping the deer population under control. So this says kids aren't taught history in public schools. They aren't, not at all. But rather are being indoctrinated. Therefore, we must keep bringing history up in order to educate younger folks. Now, one of the things I try to do on No Hostages Radio is keep doing that, is bring the truth up, bring the truth up, bring the truth up. This is a picture. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of Margaret Sanger. She's actually speaking outdoors in the dark with some lights on, outdoor lights, in front of a group of men and maybe women that are cloaked in white cloaks and, and, and head garments, white sheets. They are KKK members. And she had a tie to them because she was a racist who wanted to abort minorities, including blacks. She's also, it says, the founder of Planned Parenthood. So when you see an abortion clinic, like the other day I, I had to deliver a, uh, or, or got to deliver a lady from Yuba County Jail up to Chico, California, where there is a drug rehab run by the Salvation Army. And when we drove out uh, Cohasset, right on Cohasset, uh, the way or Cohasset Road, is Planned Parenthood. I drove right by it. I said, oh, there's a Planned Parenthood. So that is there because of a woman named Margaret Sanger who lived in the early 1900s. And what they did in the early days of Planned Parenthood is they actually targeted minority neighborhoods and they located their Planned Parenthood facilities in minority neighborhoods to make it easier for people, easy for people to get right over to that abortion clinic or to get birth control pills. Uh, the original plan was that of the Planned Parenthood was at two thirds of black pregnancies and an abortion. Uh, and that would mean that 35% of all abortions are black kids, while the percentage of blacks is less than 13% in the total uh, population in the United States. 
Now, they have achieved that. Do you know that? I, I think the last I read is that 7 out of 10, which is more than two-thirds, of black pregnancies uh, are terminated. They kill the child. Isn't that interesting? They actually accomplish their mission. So as a nonprofit uh, that, that wanted to uh, eliminate minorities, they've done very good at that. And I think second, uh, you know, the Hispanic populations. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, we have a few minutes left, so I want to finish up. This is short. There's all this discussion about did the liberals, deep state, target to pull off a nonviolent coup of the president of the United States? There is no question about that at this time. So here's what they're learning now. After Donald Trump was elected uh, in November... He would not take office, I believe, until January 20th of the following year, which I believe was 2017. But on January 5th, just 15 days prior to him taking office, Donald Trump taking office, we now know that Obama, President Obama, conducted an Oval Office meeting with these people. James Comey, Deputy Attorney uh, of the FBI Gen or excuse me, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Remember her? She refused to follow Trump's orders. National Security Advisor Susan Rice. You remember she lied on every show. I think there were five or six shows trying to convince everybody that Benghazi was a result of uh, a weird video. What a, what a liar she is. Vice President Joe Biden was there. And uh, they discussed a plan for framing Donald Trump, that he, in other words, frame him, make him look like he did something that he did not do. And they framed him using complete lies. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, all the, the big security people, the NSA, uh, all these people, CIA, Brennan with the CIA, they agreed upon a plan, this says, was for, for the FBI director, James Comey, to travel to Trump Tower. Remember, Trump Tower was where the Trump campaign was headquartering out of until they took over the White House uh, once inauguration happened. The agreement was the FBI director, James Comey, traveled to the Trump Tower on January 6, 2017, which is the day after the meeting, to blackmail President-elect Trump by divulging some of the most uh, salacious claims, which are what we call lies, in the uh, fake Hillary Clinton-backed Steele dossier about supposed Trump ties to Russia. Isn't that interesting that these people, there's a whole list of them that should be put in jail, shot. This is treason, what they did. If they would have been complicit to uh, shoot Donald Trump, I think they, we would have taken care of business. But because they planned on doing it uh, peacefully and total, they've cost the country maybe before it's over, hundreds of millions of dollars in people running around trying to chase their tail. We have, we have what I call left BI agents. I've replaced the F with left, left BI agents, because they no longer are an impartial group uh, 
defending the Constitution and protecting whoever is in office, left or righty. But now they have become uh, a left-wing organization, just like the media. So it's the left B.I., and uh, so it's just a it's just a total mess. So we uh, we have a lot to be fearful of right now. We have people like Linda Page who lied. She's an attorney, I think, with the FBI. We have Mr. McCabe, who is an assistant director, also lied. Mr. Strock or Stroke also lied. McCabe lied. Brennan lied. It just Clapper lied. They're they're criminals. They're common criminals who need to be held accountable for doing the wrong thing. So uh, I want to we're going to land the plane here for just a couple minutes and I'm going to play you a clip that uh, is going to blow your mind. It's a clip uh, about Sergeant Ray Lambert on the 2019 National Memorial Day concert. But it's Sam Elliott, the actor, telling about the heroics of Sergeant Ray Lambert. So we'll be right back. tell Sergeant Lambert's story is this year's Academy Awarded nominated actor Sam Elliott. We were headed to Omaha Beach and I was glad. After all the fighting in Africa and Sicily I just wanted to get this war over with. It was daylight on the 6th. I went up on deck and found my brother Bill there. We talked about our chances and what our parents would think. About 6 a.m. the signal came to go to stations. My brother and I promised whoever survived would take care of the other's family. And we shook hands and went our separate ways. I climbed down the nets and got into the Higgins boat with my unit. On the way in, we could hear the battleships firing and see, our big, see the big shells landing ahead of us. Guys were getting sick and vomiting from the choppy water and the diesel fumes. As we got in closer, the Germans had a bird's eye view of us coming in. We picked up machine gun fire. The bullets clanged against the metal ramp of the boat like hail. Then the big 88s on a hill opened up. Every time a shell whistled overhead, all you could hear was the sound of a banshee screaming. Boats around us were burning. I saw men on fire. Even their shoes were on fire. Dead and wounded were floating in the water. We had orders not to stop and pick anyone up. I told my men when the ramp drops, hit the water hard and keep as low as you can to dodge the bullets. We sank up over our heads. That was the last time I saw most of them. 31 men jumped off that boat. Just seven of them made it to the beach. 
The only cover was a block of concrete the Germans had failed to clear. That's where I set up a collection point for the casualties. Medics were trained not to dig in. We were there to see the troops and for them to see us. I detailed Corporal Raymond Lepore to hunker down and treat the men while I brought in the injured. Ray and I had been together since 39. I knew I could count on him. It was total confusion. Shells exploding, boats blowing up, people yelling because they couldn't hear anything, machine gun bullets hitting the water all around you, the roar of the boats coming in. It's like you're all alone in a world of a million people because you're concentrating on what you have to do. Hadn't gone far when I felt a bullet go through my right arm. I just kept going. I was thinking of only one thing, getting to the men who needed me. There was a soldier laying right on the edge of the water. One arm was almost shot off. Every time a wave would come in, that arm would be pulled back out to sea, and he'd try to reach out for it. The first thing you're supposed to do is keep a wounded man from going into shock. But he was too far gone. Nothing I could do for him. He died in my arms. I was on my way to treat another soldier when a piece of shrapnel the size of my hand tore a hole in my left thigh. I put a tourniquet on it, gave myself a shot of morphine, and went back to work. You did the job you were trained to do. If you didn't, you died. I could feel my right arm going numb from the first bullet. Saw a guy struggling in chest-deep water. Grabbed him with my good arm, just as a Higgins boat rolled in and dropped its ramp. The ramp hit me right in the back, crushed two vertebrae, and pushed us both to the bottom. That's when I started talking to the one guy I knew could help me. I said, God, I've asked you many times, but just give me another chance. Let me save one more person. And for some reason, that boat raised its ramp and backed out. Somehow I managed to drag his boat to safety. I told Corporal Lepore he'd have to take my place. He stood up and then he just collapsed against my shoulder. His helmet fell off and I saw the hole right in the center. Everything went black after that. The next thing I knew I was on a boat going back to England. A Navy doctor looked at my dog tags and he told me, we have another Lambert here. My brother's bill stretcher was put right next to mine on the dock at Weymouth. He'd been on the beach with G Company. We went to the hospital in the same ambulance. When I woke up, he was on the cot next to me. He looked over and said, what are you doing here? Same thing you are, I told him. And he said, oh God, now what's mother gonna think? We both made it out okay. Bill lived to be 92. People who have never been in a war should understand what soldiers give up. The guys we left on Omaha Beach never had a chance to live the lives they've dreamed of. Day hasn't gone by when I haven't prayed for the men we lost and their families. 
I still wake up at night sometimes thinking about the guys. Every man that walked into those machine guns and that artillery fire on Omaha Beach that day, every man was a hero. What kind of person would I be if I didn't tell their stories? Such an honor, such an honor, sir, to tell your story. God bless you. I hope you love that uh, clip about Lambert as much as I did. Uh, it was great seeing it in person. You can actually look, look up that on YouTube. It's all over YouTube. You can see Mr. Lambert. What a phenomenal hero. See him being greeted by Sam Elliott. And I was talking uh, last week about, was it just me, or was there a lot more attention being paid to military events, ceremonies, remembrances, this, this uh, past May and now June with the coming of the D-Day. And uh, I, I realize I'm a slow learner. And I remember in high school when I was studying, when I'd have my history classes, I just felt like I couldn't get the thoughts to stick together. It was a struggle for me. It just felt like my mind was a colander. I put stuff in the top, it'd fall out the bottom. I just couldn't link history together. Today, my mind works a lot better. I don't know what I've done. I don't know what happened, but it's just a lot better. And so um, I finally figured it out. This is the 75th uh, recognition or memorial of D-Day. And I, I guess, and most of you probably already know this, you think, Lou, we're glad you finally caught up. But every five years uh, since that fateful day uh, there have been on-site ceremonies or remembrances of D-Day every five years and and people survivors many survivors took the time to travel back to reflect and visit those cliffs and those beaches and those graveyards where uh, they made room for us to bury thousands of our dead uh, in beautiful, uh, I guess I guess the crosses are actually made of marble and even the uh, stars of David are made of a type of marble. I guess it's just, it's just phenomenal if you ever get a chance to do this. I've read quite a bit about it in the last week or so and of personal testimonies of people and I'm actually going to read some today because uh, this year... Uh, in the 75th year, there are still some 90-some-year-old veterans who obviously got into the war very young, uh, and some people are stating that they are dying at 100 per day. In fact, there's a picture on the internet of a 95 or 97-year-old that's parachuting. He wanted to parachute again, so you know how you can go skydiving and 
although you don't know how to skydive, they hook a veteran to you, a, an expert, and you can skydive attached to someone else. So this veteran at 95 or 97 is attached, coming down with a, a youngster. And it was so awesome. But the fact is uh, that people in this age range, deep, the Normandy people, the Omaha Beach people, are now at the age where they're they're dying very quickly. And this will probably be the last ceremony, remembrance, that any of them will be at. Because in another five years, they just will all come to pass. Isn't that sad? But a lady that uh, in my area is a well-known lady. She's uh, Kate Dosher is her name. She posted this on Facebook, and I thought it was it touched me because it was her father she's writing about, and and it anyway it, it had an impact on me. And she says, seventy-five years ago today, my father's boots hit the water at Omaha Beach, Normandy, on D-Day. He was a medic. And the enemy aimed for the cross on his helmet as it was known to instill fear in the troops when they were left without a medic. Before he reached the beach, he tossed off his helmet, the one with the cross on it, and grabbed a helmet from those bobbing in the surf who'd already been shot, she's referring to, among the fallen soldiers who never reached the beach alive. Losses were tragically heavy, and he had his work cut out for him. My father survived seven theaters or fights, including Normandy Beach, Battle of the Bulge, and the front lines in Africa, Italy, Sicily, Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and Germany. He received the Silver Star for Bravery, uh, the French Croix de Guerre, and the Purple Heart was seven clusters for being wounded so many times in battle. He never talked much about the war, but his service records spoke volumes. He was just one among so many heroes who lived and died in defense of those he, who needed protecting and for God and country. Today we celebrate those brave heroes and give thanks for their bravery and sacrifices. My father, Herbert Keith Vieira. Awesome. Totally awesome. I wanted to read, there's a Patriot newsletter that you can get by email or I don't know whether they actually sent out hard copies, but uh, Mark Alexander writes it. He does a very good job. And uh, I'm not going to do the whole newsletter, but it's all surrounding the, uh, the June 6, 1944 attack uh, of allies upon Europe. So 75 years ago, in the early hours of June 6, 1944, the largest amphibious assault in history preceded by an enormous air assault commenced, uh, commenced or started, codenamed Operation Neptune, but more commonly referred to as D-Day. It was the first assault of Operation Overload, the Allied forces invasion of the European continent. And the beginning of the end of Adolf Hitler's National Socialist Workers, or Nazi, party, and its reign of terror across Europe, and indeed it was a reign of terror. Shortly after midnight, 2,200 Allied troops, or excuse me, Allied bombers, and attack aircraft, 2,200, 
began their assault on German strongholds along the beaches of Normandy, France. The bombardment was followed by more than 24,000 U.S., British, and Canadian airborne troops who parachuted behind the beachheads while aerial and naval bombardments continued to soften German positions at landing zones, Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and Sword. Through heavy swells in the English Channel, an Allied armada was launched, and by sunrise, more than 132,000 Allied infantry began landing along 50 miles of Normandy beaches. They came in 289 escort vessels with 277 minesweepers, and they, were, and they waited ashore from more than 5,000 landing and aircraft or assault, assault craft. <clears throat> the Nazi defenses were formidable. 50,000 troops manning 170 coastal uh, artillery, 100, the 170 coastal artillery guns and rocket launchers, <clears throat> which rained murderous fire down upon Allied forces as they struggled ashore amid endless machine gun and sniper fire. They also had to climb. I don't know whether it mentions here, I think 150-foot-high cliff. By the end of the first day, there were more than 10,000 Allied cal- casualties. What do you think about that? I sit in a town here of 12,000. That'd be equivalent of the entire town being a casualty. 10,000 Allied casualties. Of those, 4,414 confirmed dead and as many missing in action. More single-day American battle dead than anti Antietam or Pearl Harbor. There were an estimated 1,000 German casualties. As the landing zones were secured in the days that followed, the, infant, the initial infantry and airborne units pushed inward. By the end of June, <clears throat> so they landed on June 6th. At the end of June, more than 875,000 Allied troops had crossed the channel. And by mid-August, more than 2 million Allied troops had landed and curd almost 226,000 casualties, 72,911 killed or missing, 153,475 wounded, along with many French resistance fighters, almost uh, almost 15,000 civilians were killed. After the initial assault was underway, Franklin Roosevelt's message and prayer, which we played last week, which is very powerful. This is our 10th episode, so you can go back to the 9th episode, and I I actually played that clip, the actual authentic Franklin Roosevelt clip, which no liberal today would even read because Franklin Roosevelt actually sought God's assistance. So after the initial assault was underway, President Roosevelt's message and prayer for our military personnel spoke to the enormity of the task and the arduous battles that would follow. FDR noted, many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer, but because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in, in a continuance of prayer. As we rise to each new day, and again when each day is spent, let words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our, our efforts. He then prayed, Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, hello, our religion, 
in our civilization and to set free a suffering humanity. So um, Mark Alexander goes on to write, we should all learn more about the pivotal, this pivotal moment in history and that, <clears throat> and that of the entire world by visiting various websites. And he says there's a D-Day memorial website. There's a World War II museum website, an Army D-Day website, where you can actually listen to Supreme Allied Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower's D-Day message. Pretty cool. You can probably go to YouTube and find that same message. Eisenhower encouraged his troops by reminding them, the eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. And let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Can you even imagine Barack Obama uttering such words? What a, what a tragic, dismal failure he was. Uh, the fact is today, and actually for many, many years now, the United States of America, when things get really rugged, whether there's a national disaster in some country, whether there's a civil war in some country, it's America that people look to to help them survive it. Uh, Ike also, that's Eisenhower, also prepared another note in the event Operation Neptune failed. He said, quote, our landings in the Cherbourg Havre area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place were based upon best information available. The troops, the air and the Navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. Obviously he didn't need to read that because they were very successful. Alexander says, thank God for all those who ensured that he did not have to deliver that message. So Alexander says, if you go there, there are still bunkers where these incredible guns and, and machine guns and uh, artillery devices, rocket launchers, uh, they're preserved for history. He said, you can go there today. The Nazi bunkers above Normandy's beaches remain as solemn and silent reminders of tyranny. And the region is now marked with many fitting tribute monuments and the vast American cemetery where 9,380 of our dead are, are buried there. And the names of 1,557 missing are memorialized. President Donald Trump and French President Emmanuel Macron will join other national leaders in the observance of the 75th anniversary, which is occurring on June 6th. Obviously, you're listening to this on June 8th. I'm, I'm actually recording this on June 6th. It's happening as I speak. So um, it's, it's a very powerful and I can't wait to watch it, uh, recordings of it. And um, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to read another anecdotal situation. <clears throat> In Mark Alexander's neighborhood, <clears throat> he's, he had a friend named Anthony Hodges, who's uh, sort of a historian and a fellow board member of the National Medal of Honor 
Heritage Center. For most of his life, he supported a history habit or hobby as a dentist. He's a dentist, Anthony Hodges. In, in 1994, he attended the 50th anniversary of D-Day in Normandy with his father and the men of the 79th Infantry Division. With large ceremonies at Omaha and Utah beaches, his father, Carl Hodges, was at that time an 18-year-old draftee from Lewisburg, Tennessee. He received six weeks. Think about this. Six weeks. You're, you're working in a grocery store or farm in America. Six weeks later, you're in Europe with all the training you're going to get. He received six weeks of infantry basic training at Camp Blanding, Florida, and in August of 1944 was placed in Company F, 313th Infantry Regiment, 79th Infantry Division, and they landed on Utah Beach. Six weeks. Anthony recalls, near the conclusion of my 94 trip, I was told I was an honorary member of the 79th with the caveat that I return in 2019 for the 75th anniversary in a place, and, and, and I would be willing to place a wreath at a monument of, at La Haye. I was assigned this duty because, as the veterans told me, you were the only man in this group who will be alive for the 75th anniversary. Sadly, this statement turned out to be correct. I will never forget the pledge I made in 1994, and last week I fulfilled my promise to the men of the 313th Regiment of the 79th Infantry Division returning to Normandy and La Haye uh, for a small 75th anniversary ceremony at the 79th Division Monument. As a man who is resistant to change, it was delightful to see the only change in Normandy I could fathom in the intervening 25 years with the addition of more monuments and memorials to men of the men of Operation Overload. Now, if if you've ever seen, you know, the boats, the open boats, they're called Higgins boats, where the, they were steel, <clears throat> but they had no top on them. And th you could take a photograph in and see the men sitting in them. And then the fronts would drop down and they would run out into the water. When you look at the faces, a lot of those guys literally could not have been 18 years of age. They were very, very young. So. This young man or this man who dedicated himself to go back on the 75th anniversary after he'd been there on the 50th. He said, we left the wreath that I promised to live to leave as well as other mementos and read aloud each man's name. It was a very emo emotional experience to return to Normandy and remember not only my father, but the other men who befriended me in 1994 took me into their association and offered me their friendship. When I get inside the pearly gates, quote unquote, I will be proud to once again see my friends from the 313th Infantry Regiment of the 79th Infantry Division and tell them I did not let you down. I have charged my three grown children with returning in 2044 for the Normandy Centennial, as I, like my old veteran friends of 1994, will likely no longer be here. On the 40th D-Day anniversary in 1984, Ronald Reagan delivered his moving uh, speech declaring, let us make a vow to our dead. Let us show them by our actions that we understand what they died for, strengthened by their courage, heightened by their valor, and borne by their memory. Let us continue to stand for the ideals for which they lived and died. Very powerful. 
He goes on to say, thank you, Anthony, and thank you to the thousands of others who are honored, honoring the greatest generation with such fitting D-Day tributes. I don't know. Maybe it's just the 75th, the 75th uh, time, but uh, and the last time, it'd be a miracle of God for any of these people survive beyond this. You know, there's some strange things that that have uh, happened in history. And uh, you just wonder what's behind it all, right? So I've seen this before, but I came across it the other day, and it's how history kind of lines up. And you just think, ah, who would have known? So this guy writes, Abraham Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846. John F. Kennedy was elected to Congress in 1946. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860. John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960. Both were particularly concerned with civil rights. Both wives lost a child while living in the White House. Both presidents were shot on a Friday. Both presidents were shot in the head. And now it gets even more weird or strange. Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy, and Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Both were assassinated by Southerners. Both were succeeded by Southerners named Johnson. Andrew Johnson succeeded Lincoln, was born in 1808. Lyndon Johnson succeeded Kennedy, was born in 1908. John Wilkes Booth who assassinated Lincoln, was born in 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated Kennedy, was born in 1939. Both assassins were known by three names. That's not that unusual, actually, because most assassins, for some strange reasons, whether they kill presidents or not, are named by all three names. Both names, Wilkes' name and Oswald's name or Booth's name and Oswald's name have a total of 15 letters. Now, more strangeness. Lincoln was shot at the theater named Ford. Kennedy was shot in a car called Lincoln made by Ford. Booth and Oswald were assassinated before their trials. And here's where it gets even more strange. A week before Lincoln was shot, he was in Monroe, Maryland. A week before Kennedy was shot, he was with Marilyn Monroe. Lincoln was shot in a theater, and the assassin ran to a warehouse. Kennedy was shot from a warehouse, and the assassin ran to a theater. Honestly, people, uh, if you don't think there's some really strange and amazing, crazy things going on in our world, whether it's divine guidance or demonic guidance uh you just have to you just have to think these things through right who would have thought all that stuff you know there's been a lot of discussion liberals so hungry for power and control and to create a communist or socialist country have been jockeying for position for the prize for the celebratory uh, recognition that I can figure out a way to kill more babies than you, kill them earlier, later. And uh, 
They talk about civil rights and freedom. It's, it, it's interesting. I wrote an article in the Territorial Dispatch you might want to look at, territorialdispatch.biz, where I talk about all of us have that gnarly side to us where maybe we've thought of taking the life of another person because of maybe something bad that was done to us or maybe somebody is a pain in the ass, as I said in my article. So I understand killing people that are in our way, making life convenient, painful, difficult. But this killing of children is, is a lust and a blood, bloody lust. And when I saw a picture of this doctor, who is an OBGYN, Dr. Leah Torres, in Salt Lake City, Utah, she said when she performs certain abortions, those are probably late, later-term abortions, she cuts the vocal cord of the baby, so there's really no opportunity for the child to cry out. I thought these things were all painless for you Planned Parenthood people. She also described herself as a uterus ripper-outer because she performs hysterectomies. Some people may have the brilliance to be a doctor, but they don't have the character to be one. Isn't this sad? These people would be called butchers. My father was a butcher. He was a, a meat cutter, or they would call him a butcher. But honestly, people that, to be a meat cutter or a butcher that would create meat and other types of, you know, fish, all kinds of meat, pork, chicken, for people to stay alive, these people are cutting babies apart so a mother can have a less inconvenienced life, a less troubled life. These people should be put in jail. These people should be given capital punishment. It's, it's so interesting how we put someone in jail for killing someone, but we will not put someone in jail for killing a child. It is, is fascinating, very fascinating. So, uh, all right, let me see. We're going to move on here. We have four or five minutes here before we're going to take another, our first break at the hour. Our first hour is coming to an end in a few minutes. So let me see where... Uh, I can pick up and just tie something together here really quickly. <clears throat> I wanted to mention all up and down the state of California, because California is going broke. The, when I say that, just not the state, but the individual pieces of the state that put the state together, the cities, the counties, the jurisdictions, the agencies. Because there has been a corrupt uh, design to bless government workers since they unionized so they just want more and more better and better more generous more generous more time off paid more to do less more time off more benefits and so years ago when there there was no in other words you could go to work for the government and it, either you drop dead working or you could decide whenever you wanted to leave you got tired of working but there wasn't any retirement so the initial retirement plans were designed to get people to quit because they were ineffective and inefficient and they were they were not doing the job they were intended to be. They're just too old, right? We all get too old. I can't jump, off, jump over tall buildings like I used to, just too old. 
And doctor that told me with all the repairs they made to my body, they said, Lou, you can't do what you used to do. So take it easy and you'll be fine. So the original retirement plans in the state of California were designed to get people to go ahead and leave and we'll pay you something to leave. Right. Which is okay. So, um, but then when government employees were allowed to unionize, they got better and better and better plans. And with politicians, wanting to stay in office, they blessed the unions with what they wanted to do. So then they would get the union rep union membership to vote for the politician. And the politicians, of course, would be out of office and retired and on with their pocket full of money before the, the payday hap had to happen where these pensions would have to be paid. So there were all kinds of lies or miscalculations or both saying, oh, well, this will never cost the taxpayer anything because the money's being contributed by these government entities or out of the employees themselves, and we'll invest the money and we'll earn like 7% or percent or more, and we'll make enough money coming back where we can pay very generous uh, pensions for the rest of an employee's life. In other words, if you start as a 20-year-old, say, or 21-year-old in law enforcement, you retire at 51 or 55, somewhere in there, right, in the 50s. Uh, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to retire that. I'm okay with it. I'm just explaining how it works. And so you retire in your 50s, and the way the system works now for some law enforcement, like CHP, they get, if they serve 30 years, they multiply that, they get 3% pension benefits. You multiply that times 30 years, that's 90% of their highest year's income for the rest of their life each year. So say round figure, which most of them earn more than a hundred thousand a year, say they earned a hundred thousand, then they would get $90,000 a year until they drop dead. So you start paying a CHP officer and I'm not against a CHP. I work with them. I like them. So you start, uh, you start paying a CHP officer for working and endangering their life at 20, say, or 21, let's say 21. And then at 51, they retire. And from 51, say they live to 81. That's 30 years. They will get $90,000 a year. I'm not even saying that's wrong. If, if, if the government can afford it with the money that the person contributed, hallelujah to you. But the problem is they can't. And the, the fact is, on my retirement, I had to put all the money aside for my retirement. There was nobody helping me with that, right? no taxpayer. So whatever I set aside, plus any income, or uh, if that increased in value, like in a mutual fund or interest or whatever, my original investment in my retirement, plus the, the in growth, the growth, uh, I get to draw from, right? But it gets goofy when you get to, when you get to, uh, when you get to the retirement plans of government employees, and I'll talk more about that when we come back because we're at the end of our first hour. And I'm going to play you a clip by Dinesh D'Souza where he talks about the left's hypocrisy over Martin Luther King Jr. So we'll be right back.
MeToo era, can MLK Jr. still be a hero to the left if they're to have any credibility? Uh, I would say, given these latest revelations, now it should be noted these revelations are based on FD, F, FBI tapes, uh, and it's been known for a while that the FBI was taping Martin Luther King, but the content of those tapes was secret. The historian David Garrow, who's, by the way, a progressive historian, very well respected, in fact, a devotee of the civil rights movement, is the, who's the source for these new uh, bombshell allegations, because they... They placed Martin Luther King's not only his personal life, but his personal views, I think, in a very uh, calamitous light. Uh, calamitous, especially in view of the Me Too movement, which has put a sort of new spin uh, on what is acceptable, particularly in public uh, discourse. So I think this is kind of why these allegations, although they're all over the British press and their source is credible, they're getting no coverage in America. Um, not a single major media outlet has touched them. The progressive historians are all hiding under their desks uh, because they realize that, that Martin Luther King is not just, people don't just celebrate him for his, uh, his anti-segregation views or for his dream about us wanting to live in a country with, where we are judged by the content of our character. People treat King as a secular saint. Innumerable schools are named after yeah. King. And so think about it. How, how can you actually have a school uh, upholding a role model when the actual conduct, I mean, this is not a matter of having foibles or falling short. This is behavior which, if true, uh, goes way beyond that. Well, Dinesh, I want to get your reaction to something that Rush Limbaugh said today on his radio show about Democrats' perception of MLK. Let's watch. I think that they have already successfully remade, if you will, the, the image or message of Dr. King to the point that there's no reason to have to abandon it or him. They've already turned him and his memory into a message tailored for their modern day beliefs. And he was nowhere near what they have made him out to be. So there's no reason to cast him aside. Yeah, Dinesh, do you agree with that? I mean, they, they can't really dispense with someone like MLK because that would, I mean, that's a body blow to, to a lot of what they represent today, correct? Well, I'd go even further. If you think about it, the great uh, black Americans of our history, I think of people like Frederick Douglass, the runaway mm -hmm. slave, Ida B. Wells, who fought against lynching, uh, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington. All of these were Republicans. They were conservatives. They were celebrators of self-help and what Douglass called a self-made man. So the left hates them. The left doesn't want to teach them. And so the only guy that they've been able to push to the front is Martin Luther King. He's mm. the only guy that they, in a sense, can cling to. So if they lose King, they've sort of lost their one claim to be a champion, if you will, of African-American rights. So I think that this is a very awkward situation for them. Of course, the Me Too movement also came from the left. So this is not a right-wing critique that they can dismiss. They've got to take it seriously. I think they're in denial, but ultimately the truth will come out. Yeah, well, Dinesh, isn't it interesting that the media on the left are always about transparency and we want to know more and give us more. It's important that the public knows democracy dies in the darkness. But we're, it's like crickets on this. And th why aren't they clamoring for the tapes to be released earlier? I mean, oh, well, you look didn't at hear the anything. Extreme, look at the... Um 
And look at the extreme discretion that even you're exercising on this show. Now, if these allegations had been made about Reagan uh, or about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they'd be all over the newspapers. Look at the huge hubbub that came out when it was alleged uh, with somewhat questionable evidence that Thomas Jefferson was definitively uh, involved in a relationship with a female slave, Sally right. Hemings. Uh, it could have been no. a Jefferson relative. It's not obvious it was Jefferson, but this has besmirched Jefferson's yeah, character, and the left was all over it. Yeah. All right, Dinesh, thank you so much. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking, like the do the man together. More or less in line, just keep trucking. Oh, oh, oh. Well, all right. I hope you enjoyed that clip of Sam Elliott and uh, or actually uh, Dinesh D'Souza and uh, talking about Martin Luther King. You know, it's amazing. You just know what you know and what you don't know. You don't know until you know something different. And uh, I was saddened to hear these reports that are only being published primarily in Europe because they are not dealing with the politically correct hordes of the United States. And it tells of the, uh, obviously, the disappointing other life of Martin Luther King, although we did a lot to uh, promote civil rights, etc. But it's sad to see how he lived his personal life and, and lack of integrity. But I wanted to, uh, since this, certainly since this is uh, a time of remembrance, for D-Day and the 75th anniversary, as it will. <clears throat> um, one of the folks that helps us stay on the air, if I can say it that way, or keep us casting as a pod, is a guy named uh, Monty Hecker. And if you go to Monty Hecker's website, <clears throat> EliteUniversalSecurity.com or API-Academy.com, it says this business, Elite Universal Security, is being run by uh, disabled vet, retired disabled vet. And uh, I think I think that's a great thing to make a statement like that. Because, you know, you meet people out there, they, they're living uh, their life and they're in uh, civilian clothes. You don't really know what their background is, what they did. Uh, but uh, Monty actually states that in his business. And I think the veterans should state that. I know there's a group of veterans running a coffee outlet and uh, I think it's great saying, hey, this is all veteran sold coffee. And uh, I think more and more business should do that. But I wanted to give uh, credit and recognize Elite Universal Security. You know, this country was designed to uh, and created for people to have the maximum amount of freedom and liberty and to have their personal property protected. And that was an important aspect, that no one could come and take your property without a rightful cause. And unfortunately today, and, and let me back up and say that the, the founding fathers believed that we needed some government. And the reason we needed some government was not to be—the point wasn't to hand out free stuff. The point was to protect you from having your liberty, your freedom, your happiness— and your property taken from you by force, either by a foreign invader 
or by someone in your own town that has, has mentally run off the rails. And so now we have, so we created police departments and military forces, right? And most people are very, most people in our country are very positive towards those folks, except the left wing of the left wing, the lefties of the liberals uh, who are, hate the military. And in fact, Obama, President Obama tried to castrate the military and uh, tried to weaken military. But most even conservative liberal people are pro-military and pro-law enforcement. In fact, you'll find some of, them serve, some of them serving. So, but what's happened over the years is <clears throat> security companies have risen up, including Monty Hecker's Elite Universal Security, to protect uh, because we don't want a police state. And no one can really finance that like Russia did, China does, Vietnam does. There's cops everywhere. We spend a huge amount of money on that, but... We don't want to do that. And we, our founding fathers believed that people ought to self-discipline. They ought to be disciples of Jesus and self-discipline themselves to keep your eyes on your own business, to stay out of your neighbor's business, to don't take your neighbor's stuff, to not covet your neighbor's stuff. But unfortunately, many people in this free country have chosen not to follow Jesus and not to self-discipline. And so they make up their own rules as they go along, like, oh, my stuff's my stuff, and your stuff is also my stuff. So if I want to take your stuff, like if you're really successful, you could, you can afford to give me some of your stuff, so I'm just going to take some of your stuff, because I don't have as much as you, right? Cannibalizing one another. So security businesses grow, grow, have grown up and to protect and add an extra level of protection, like right over here. I have a small uh, commercial development across the street from me, and there's a bank there, and there's a couple food establishments and a cell phone establishment and a coffee establishment and a sandwich shop and stuff. But because of the different political stance nowadays among our elected leaders, they just allow people to violate the law. They poop in public. They pee in public. They pressure people to give up their money. Instead of putting a gun to their head, they just try to look rough and try to in intimidate weak people to give them money for just standing, for just because they breathe. They're breathing. You owe me. You should give me money. Do you have any small change? Do you have any change? Can you help me out? I haven't eaten today. Da, 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 da. And so the police don't do anything about that. These should be called vagrancy, and there were laws against it, and they would deal with it, right? Today, they don't do anything about it. So now we have so much manure, human feces in our cities and urine that we have actually age-old diseases that now are making a comeback because we're choosing. The third world is, is now becoming modernized and getting on top of all these things. And the first world or the more developed world like the United States is now reached. We're actually thinking that we're being intelligent and smart by allowing people to poop all over everywhere, shoot heroin out in the streets and lay in the streets. That's freedom. That's liberty is allow them to be totally irresponsible and end, end their lives and get hepatitis B, C, typhus, cholera. And, and that's, that's an advanced civilized society. We've actually lost our mind. So now if you go across the street, you'll find people from elite universal security walking around those developments all day. 
telling people to move on and quit intimidating the shoppers, right? That's elite universal security. Well, they also out there, by the way, I just saw on their website, I was checking their website out this week and these guys are offering jobs. These are current openings. I was shocked. Says federal armed officer, Butte County, Lathrop and Sacramento patrol officer, Butte County, Yuba and Sutter County areas. Armed officer, Butte County and Yuba and Sutter areas. Part-time officers, all areas. I think these guys are busy. If you want a job, they will help you be employed there. And you could call them up at 530-749-0280. 530-749-0280. Or you could probably just go on their website, EliteUniversalSecurity.com, and email them. Or you could go by their place of business in Yuba County, 5548 Feather River Boulevard. And you think, man, you know, I need a job. I'd like to do this, but I don't know anything about it. They will train you. So in the month of June, so you can go over and start getting lined out with them. It's already June. When you hear this program for the first time, it'll be June 8th. So you can kind of go over there and get organized and sign up and see if they, you, you can fit in. And then they will begin to train you starting on in July. They, they're taking a break from all the training in June, but they do all their own training. They can get you ready to go. Plus, if you need a concealed weapon permit, uh, you can get that training. But but that's going to be all starting up in July again. But right now, in June, they do some other things for the community, like they do live scans. Like somebody just contacted me and they said, oh, I need to go get a background check. Now, I don't know whether they meant a live scan or whatever, but... Uh, they asked where the sheriff's department was. So you can get those at the sheriff's department or you can get them out at uh, Elite Universal Security. You can go any 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 day as opposed to sheriff's departments usually have specific times, specific days where they have employees focused on that, which is all, it's fine. I'm just saying that you can get it any day at Elite Universal Security and um, you can also get a mobile notary. Now, sometimes... You can go 30 years without needing one. Then all of a sudden you need one. Boom, you need a notary. And every once in a while I'll need a notary. But they'll come to your place of business. They'll just come right over there. You don't even have to track them down. So check out uh, Elite Universal Security. You need a job. You need, or you maybe you need a job done in your, your, your farm or you're a business. And people are just cutting through your fences or go out into your orchard. They're stealing stuff. Man, I used to have uh, <clears throat> farm pomegranates. And the uh, I had some <coughs> microjet irrigation system, but I had some blow-off valves where you could clean out all your water lines <clears throat> so the dirt and sediment wouldn't get up into your microjet valves, uh, sprayers. And so, but the tweakers realized that those, the big valves where I flushed out the system were actually made of, of brass. So they stole, they would come in and just bring a hacksaw and cut off the plastic connect and steal all those brass valves. Isn't that something? So then we just replaced all the brass valves with plastic valves so they have no value to recycle. Isn't that amazing? But these brass valves are big and expensive, and they'd last you forever, and you couldn't break them, right? These plastic valves crack and break, and then you got to replace them. So Monty Hecker at Lead Universal Security can, can keep you from getting... Uh, all you've worked for taken from you. Or if you have people in your that are coming around your business intimidating your clients so they say, you know something, 
I really would like to shop there, but I'm just going to go over here because and do it over here because every time I get out there, there's guys with a pit bull leashed up next to them asking me for a dollar or wanting something, something, right? And uh, and I've even had people in my area right here that won't walk over to Walgreens, which is just across the street at night because she's afraid, right? So if you need those kind of that kind of help, uh, you can you can get it. So I want to talk to you. I before we took a break, uh, I was talking about the the corrupt pension plans that were created for public employees. And there's nothing wrong with public employees. Many of my friends are great public employees. They're hard workers. They're dedicated. Uh, they're committed. Particular most of the ones I know are law enforcement or fire. And they're very, uh, they're good. They're salt of the earth people. They're the people I want to be out there. And I want them to be paid well. God bless them. They make more money than me. Hallelujah to you. I, I'm not insecure at all. I, I ate me some, I ate a food, little food here at one of our breaks. That was enough for me. I'm not thinking about all the food that's out there that I couldn't eat. I just was interested in what I did eat. So hallelujah to you. Make some money. And the the government says, hey, back in the day, you know, uh, the government workers didn't make as much as private workers. So they said, well, we'll pay you a a pension because we need good government workers. But then things got corrupt like they do. Right. Politicians get involved in putting their hand in your pocket. And then all of a sudden the ripoff begins. So there's a great article uh, by a guy named Chuck DeVore. Chuck DeVore now uh, works in Texas for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And he used to be a legislator in the state of California. And he ran for office. He served in the legislature as a conservative, and actually ran against Divine uh, Diane Feinstein, or Feinstein, whatever your preference, uh, who has been a senator for a number of years, was mayor of San Francisco, then became a senator, and and uh, I don't know how whether she's just being held together by Botox and uh, some other preservatives, but uh, anyway, Chuck Devore ran against her and lost because it's a very liberal state. So after that, Chuck DeVore decided, I'm going to go to Texas. And he moved to Texas. And every once in a while, he'll write an article about California, because he's he's uh, one of the more knowledgeable people about California government. And so he keeps track on it. Uh, and he likes to write articles. So he wrote this article. And I'm not, I can't see where... If you here's the deal, the title of the article is five point two trillion of government pension debt <coughs> threatens to overwhelm state budgets and taxpayers. Chuck DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E, Chuck DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E. If you look for a pension article, Chuck DeVore, you'll you'll see it. And it's a great um, he's talking about all over the country. So he has a graph of the United States of America, a colored graph, a colored uh, demographic map would be the better way to say it. And it's per household unfunded government pension liability. So a liability, if you've taken accounting, which I have, uh, a liability is a debt that you owe, right? 
you use the benefit, you got the benefit, and you owe the debt. So uh, the, it says per household unfunded government li pension liability. In other words, it's a pension liability. That means they promised something to someone, but they didn't set any money aside to pay for it. So the 10 states with the biggest per household unfunded pension liabilities are these. Number one is Alaska. If you divide up the unfunded pension liability by the adults in the state, sorry, by the households in the state, the number of households, each household owes $102,084. Unfund, they, in other words, if they said today, you've got to come up, the state has to come up per household to pay off this debt. Every household in Alaska is going to have to come up with over 102,000. I'm just going to give their round figures here. Not, I'm just going to give the thousands. Uh, California is second. Every household in California would have to contribute $86,000 to this unfunded pension debt. Connecticut, 82,000. Illinois, 76,000. Arkansas, 68,000. Hawaii, 68,000. Ohio, 61,000. New Jersey, 59,000. Nevada, 58,000, and New Mexico, 58,000. Those are the top 10. I want you to think about this. How far do you get out of line financially to where you're just broke? You're bankrupt. So when, when each household has to take of all their worth— 86,000 of that and give it to the government to pay off these pensions. Don't you think that we've prom over promised pe these pensions? It's amazing. Totally amazing. So, uh, Chuck DeVore, he says there's a thing called the pension tracker, T R A C K E R pension tracker. It's a project of the Stanford Institute of economic policy research, Stanford over here in Palo Alto, California. And it's led, this institute's led by California, a former a state assemblyman by the name of Joe Nation. He's a Ph.D., Joe Nation. Kind of an inter interesting name, right? <clears throat> and he has just delivered his updated assessment of the nation's unfunded state and local government pension fund liabilities. Now, I don't have any unfunded liability for my pension, right? Because I only contribute to my pension what I can afford. Now, how do you get a liability there? Well, one way is that, that somehow I would promise myself income after I retire that I hadn't put money enough money aside for. So a liability, an unfunded liability is created where you promise Lou Benninger he's going to get 2000 or $3,000 a month, but there isn't money set aside for that. So it's a fraudulent promise. It's the same thing that Charles Ponzi, if you look it up, P-O-N-Z-I, or Bernie Madoff, M-A-D-O-F-F, -F, they both went to prison for this. But the government can do it and do it with a smile on their face. Now, and I mentioned earlier, and he says the same thing, DeVore. Originally, government pensions were designed as an incentive to encourage nonproductive bureaucrats to leave service earlier than they might otherwise to thin out the dead wood in an organization. However, over time, pensions became more generous and the time of service required to retire kept getting reduced. Government pension systems are generally funded 
by four different revenue sources. Now, you need to pay attention to this. Uh, and these sources vary in each jurisdiction. Deductions, here's one, deductions from the employee's paycheck. Some, some the, the government and politicians have negotiated where the taxpayer's paying all the, uh, the contributions for the employee. The employee gets, doesn't have to contribute anything or very little to their, their own retirement. It's crazy. The second stream of funding is contributions from the employer. That would be your taxpayer, right? This isn't private industry. This is the government. So the government doesn't have any money on their own. The only money they have is money from you and me. So they could take money out of the employee's paycheck. They can take money from the general fund of the taxpayers. Number three, investment earnings from the pensions. But the pension fund, and I wrote an article about this, I think last week or the week before for the Territorial Dispatch, the the CalPERS, the California Public Employment Retirement System Board of Directors is more interested in being politically correct than they are making money. So so if there's no investment earnings, that's a that's a source of funds that's that's now gone. And finally, uh, taxpayers would have to contribute even more. Right. So as new employees come into the system, divorce says their deductions and employer contributions are paying for the retirees who are no longer there. That's crazy. Why, why are they paying for employees that are no longer there? Because the employees themselves and the system itself did not take account to take care of those people with their with current money. So we have to pay for the old retirees with new money. It's a scam. It's what they call today, commonly called in, in law enforcement, a Ponzi scheme. In theory, divorce says the system is supposed to be self-sustaining paycheck deductions, employer contributions and investment income are supposed to meet retiree obligations over an amortized period like 20 years. But shortfalls, unfunded liabilities are supposed to be made up by increasing paycheck de de deductions and employer contributions as increasing investment income is coupled with increased risk which in turn puts taxpayers at a great risk of a pension fund bailout. What's he talking about? That means exactly what's happening in Yuba County, Butte County, Shasta County, Sacramento County. All these counties are going back to the voters and saying, you know, uh, we don't have enough money to pay our police officers and firefighters, and that's your fault. But it isn't our fault. Politicians overcommitted and pensions we cannot afford. CalPERS Investments Advisors either were stupid or lied to the legislature when they increased the amount of benefits they gave to the pensioners. So the system has failed, and they want a funding bailout, and they keep wanting to raise taxes, taxes, taxes to get us by the next couple of years, the next couple of years. Do you think it's going to solve us forever? Nope. All these are is politicians kind of stuck sticking their finger in the dike because they created a high water situation that's going to flood us all out. They bankrupted. You know, in business, if you continuously spend more than you bring in, you call that bankruptcy and you go out of business. But government cannot go out of business. So therefore, what they do is they just keep taking more and more of the assets of the public 
and to give it to other people. They redistribute income. That's called socialism. Now, it's interesting to me that supervisor after supervisor, particularly in the North State, consider themselves Republican or conservative, but they are the biggest redistributors of other people's assets around, and they don't see any problem with that being uh, they don't see that being a socialist at all. They, in fact, if you called them a socialist, they would get all angry and cuss at you and do stupid stuff at you. Divorce says politics happens in good times. Pension fund investment income from Wall Street and other investment pours in, making the pensions fund look wonderful. And then politicians are re- re- reluctant to set money aside when the pension balance sheet looks strong. Like what happened in, in uh, back in the 1990s. Man, the, the stocks were booming. You remember the 1990s? Dot-com stocks. And Yuba County was looking pretty good. In fact, that was right when Gary Tindall's expanded, expanded jail started renting out jail space to the uh, Naturalization and Immigration Service. and Or we now call it ICE. And we were paying... We were just renting them out like hotel, 100 beds a night at $60, $70 a night. They were making four, five, six million dollars a year. Instead of taking that money and setting excess money aside, they turned around and increased everybody's salaries retroactive to the time they got hired, which bumped their pensions fantastically. And all of a sudden put Yuba County into a broke situation where now, we hardly use any of our own tax dollars in the general fund to pay for law enforcement. Do you know the only reason counties and cities organized in the first place was to create police? And now we can't even fund them because we're spending, them all, spending money on all other stupid stuff. So what they did is they took and they said, well, we're going to fund Yuba County law enforcement with ICE money. Well, what if the ICE, what if the immigration people decide they're not going to use Yuba County jail anymore? Somebody's going to go through withdrawals. So divorces, politics happens. So we, they made bad decisions at the state level and in Yuba County level in the 1990s. And it kicked us into owing way, way more than we'll ever be able to pay off. He says in bad times when investment returns go negative, government income also tends to be weak, leaving legislators with little appetite to put more money into the pension fund. What often ends up happening is that the pension fund would be uh, encouraged to report, un- in other words, a lie. They just start saying, well, we have great expectations in the next 20 years. And they BS lawmakers to get them to okay whatever they want. So in, when I said 1990s, there was a big change. In 1999, Senate Bill 400 passed that year in California. What did it, what did it say? SB 400 granted tens of billions of dollars in retroactive increases. Do you remember me telling about Yuba County authorizing retroactive increases? That's what they did. The same way as the state. Retroactive increases to pension benefits on the assurance from the nation's largest government pension fund, CalPERS, and the labor unions, that the state's main pension plans were overfunded by $17.6 billion. And they said the fund was in such good shape uh, that it could raise all these pensions benefits without affecting the taxpayer one nickel, or actually one penny. Well, 
Then the dot-com boom went bust after the higher benefits were promised. And once you make a promise to government employees, you'll be you'll be hard pressed to pull take that back. And uh, then we had the 9/11 attacks. In less than two years, California's massive pension system was seriously broke. So this matters for taxpayers in California because what happens is when they put a tax measure on the ballot, like Marysville did, and then we defeated it, they just turn around and keep putting it on the next ballot and on the next ballot and on the next ballot and on the next ballot until they get what they want. Because eventually they'll be able to lie to enough people to convince enough people to give them more money or we're not going to be able to respond when your husband starts to choke after having after, because he's had a stroke. Or we're not going to be able to respond maybe for 30 minutes uh, because your husband has all these minor heart attacks, right? These small heart attacks. So it says... Uh, Pension obligations, once made, are virtually impossible to renegotiate or discharge divorces. Since states are sovereign entities with unlimited ability to tax, and because they cannot declare bankruptcy, any government pension shortfall must eventually be paid by you and me. In California, state and local governments have started feeling the pinch. <clears throat> and so... There's hundreds of millions of dollars that are owed to pensioners that are being paid by people that are just starting in to work for government now. San Jose's pension expenses ballooned from $73 million in 2001 in nine years to $245 million in 2010. Government services were often trimmed to make good on guaranteed. What's trimmed look like? Well, you go over to... The county clerk and they're closed. They close on a particular day of the week. They didn't tell you about it or you didn't hear about it. Your your drains clog up. Your trees don't get trimmed around power lines. They catch things on fire. The streets don't get sweet. The roads don't get patched. On and on and on and on. So the pension tracker, you can look this up. Stanford University Pension Tracker has collected data from around the nation has gathered information from more than 1200 counties. Remember I told you that there was over 3000 counties out there. So, uh, ours is second highest only to Alaska. Isn't that something we've just politicians. When you think what has happened to our state, politicians have destroyed our wonderful, wonderful state, liberal and Republican. Uh, we'll be right back. And let's see, we got a little special thing for you right now. We got uh, a clip by Star Parker. I love Star Parker. She talks about you don't have to go to Venezuela to see socialism. Walk along the river, sweet lullaby. It just keeps on flowing. Oh, they don't worry about where. strongest lobby is, it's the gun lobby. 
which intimidates people, threatens elected officials. It is time, my friends, we stand together and say enough. And when it comes to guns, we have just too many guns. I also feel absolutely motivated in every way to take on the gun lobby. You know, the NRA's position reminds me of negotiating with the Iranians or the communists. Because we have created a culture in which people grab for Thank guns you. all the time. Please stand up against the NRA and the gun lobby. What is wrong with us that we can't stand up to the NRA and the gun lobby and the gun manufacturers they represent? To the Ayatollahs of Iran and every terrorist you enable, listen up. You might have met our fresh-faced flower child president and his weak-kneed Ivy League friends. But you haven't met America. You haven't met the heartland where the people will defend this nation with their bloody, calloused, bare hands. That's what it takes. You haven't met the steel workers and the hard rock miners or the swamp folks in Cajun country who can wrestle a full-grown gator out of the water. You haven't met the farmers, the cowboys, the loggers, and the truck drivers. You don't know the mountain men who live off the land or the brave cops who fight the good fight in the urban war zones. No, you've never met America. And you ought to pray you never do. I'm the National Rifle Association of America. And I'm freedom's safest place. Government control is not good. We do not have to go to Venezuela to see socialism. We can go to Compton. Government controls every inner city in the country. They do the health care. They do the, the, the education. They do the, the, the housing. They do the economic issues. Everything. They, they, they do the jobs. They do the, well, this, these, we're going to wage controls. They control it already, and look what we have. We don't, this is, this is the result of socialism. Go into every single congressional black caucus member's district and you can see socialism right there. We don't have to go to Cuba. So I don't want that. I want freedom. And so that's why I do what I do. My name is Star Parker and I founded and am the president of CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. I lived so aggressively for the left and for ideas that were destructive that I think I have a passion people that were or that are where I was those that are right now where I was I um, I want to make sure that my light shines for them because I believed all the lies of the left I believe that my problems were somebody else's fault I believe that America was racist I should have mainstream I believe that um, I was poor because others were wealthy so I bought that idea of envy and I'm gonna do everything I can to destroy them and and it didn't work. It doesn't work. And so I just got lost in even setting goals. You just get lost. And I was very lost in living for the day, so getting involved in anything that came up that day. And what came up that day? Criminal activity, drug activity, sexual activity, in and out of abortion clinic, living on welfare. And it wasn't until a Christian conversion that I just turned, changed my life. That Christian conversion changed my life. When God was introduced through his son, Jesus Christ, I said, okay. And in that, slowly, I was able to start making decisions that were much more healthy. One of the beauties of the biblical worldview is its personal responsibility. It teaches person, you can come up with any excuses you want to, but at the end of the day, 
at core of having an advocate through Jesus Christ to wash our sins is that it allows you freedom to mess up. So you don't have to pre-plan, you don't have to collectivism. You can get out there and try to fulfill a destiny, set a group dream and reach for it. And so when I found that out, I started doing just that. I went to school, I got a degree. I graduated high school barely literate. Now I'm on my fifth book. I'm a syndicated columnist. I graduated at barely literate. You can do it. And that's what I found out. And so it's one of the reasons that I so uh, advocate for the government to get out of the charity business. This is not a good idea to have the government running the lives of the poor. We, we need them to understand freedom. Get out of it. Get your, to your destiny. Get on with it. And that where you might make a mistake and that little fence you need, that's what the scripture's for, to give us the guidelines on how to live. And so that's what changed me. And once I found that out, I was on it. And then after the 92 Los Angeles riots destroyed my business that I had built there in L.A., uh, I began to work in social activism. That's when I met Newt Gingrich. That's when I started consulting on federal welfare reform. After we passed it, I figured, wait a minute. We just told 5 million women and 9 million children what they're not going to do anymore. We better maybe tell them what we should be thinking about. And that's when I started my organization to say, well, then let's talk about ideas that are going to help fix this. Well, it started out down a dirty road Started out All alone And the sun went down It's across the hill All right, well, Star Parker, as you just heard, uh, was a welfare babe who got caught up in the lie that the government is here to help you. And what the government is here to do is, uh, whether they intended it or not, sometimes you make decisions and they have unintended consequences. And so Star Parker ended up being knocked up, promiscuous, a drug user, and getting everything handed free to her. Housing, transportation, food, utilities, discounts everywhere, right? Education. <coughs> and then finally... What changed for, as you heard, is she got converted and she took personal responsibility. The founding fathers believed that America would work if people would take personal responsibility for their own lives and not mooch on other people or try to take advantage or redistribute wealth. That's what Star Parker did. So uh, I wanted to mention uh, I'm, I'm not too handy. My father was a good father and uh, he was a meat cutter, as I mentioned. He was a butcher. But he didn't butcher children. He butchered beef and pigs and poultry and fish, stuff like that, for people to eat. Had a really popular business. Uh, so, but I didn't learn how to, my, my uncles were carpenters, but I didn't, I didn't ever go learn how to fix things. Sometimes, I, I kind of learned a few things on my own. But generally in my house, I own a house. And it's an old house, and so just like anything, everything takes maintenance. Even if you have a brand new house, stuff breaks, doesn't? You break stuff, kids break stuff, something happens. Somebody the other, my friend said the other day, "Hey, I broke one of my girls broke the window in our house. How do we get it fixed? Who who do we call around here? They're new to town." So, <clears throat> I what I do is, I just I travel some, so I just wait till I'm going to be gone and. Uh, to make it easy on everybody and i just make a list of things that like to be replaced like if i have light sockets that need to be replaced or wall wall plug-ins or 
the window. I had a couple windows that were cracked over the years, replaced those. And when that happens, I call my friend Dave Greenitz. And uh, Dave doesn't really make, that's not really his meat and potatoes. That's not his sweet spot of business. But he helps me, just fixes all my stuff while I'm traveling in Vietnam or over, doing something on a tip program or tip training. And I just give him a punch list and give him a key to the house. He comes in, cleans, comes in, fixes stuff, cleans up after himself, leaves. You don't even know he's been there except things are all fixed and better. It's like getting knocked out. You have, you have something wrong with you. You need to get it fixed. You go in, they knock you out. And the next thing you know, it seems like you've been sleeping for about two minutes. You wake up and it's fixed. You think, thank you, Jesus. So Greenest Construction up here in, in Northern California and Yuba, Sutter counties primarily, but I think they'll travel some places. I know he did some projects up in Lake Tahoe before, but they like, they stay pretty busy just local here because he's popular. But you can go check his work out. It's unbelievable. At GreenitzConstruction.com, <clears throat> he's helped me fix up bathrooms and kitchens around here. I, I don't pay for anything as fancy as these folks. Go look at there, man, if you want to. You know, a lot of times people want to buy a new house, a new truck house. I don't know why people would want to do that because they're not built that way. Even though they look fancy and they're big and they got new landscaping. Oh, we love that. You can do that at, a, at a, your house you have now. Just upgrade everything. Do do a new kitchen, new bath. Come in and re. It doesn't cost that much to re-landscape. You can do almost all the work yourself. Paint it differently. Put in new windows. You can just rehab these houses. And they're, the older houses. I'm, I live in a house built in 1937. It's like stout, man. So you just got to give it some tender, loving care and. The interesting thing about Dave that, and, and I say interesting because it does, you know, it's kind of like if you're driving to work and you drove through a farm area and you always saw the cows and horses. So you see some brown cows, some black cows, some black and white cows and red cows. So you see them every day. But one day you drive to work and you think, oh, I never seen that before. That's a purple cow. When you get to work, do you think you'll comment on the black or the black and white cow? No, you're going to, when you go to the water cooler, go get a cup of coffee, you're going to say, hey, I drove to work today. I saw a purple cow. I've never seen such a thing. How do they get a purple cow? So a purple cow is synonymous with standing out wherever, wherever you are. Isn't it interesting? You go into a workplace, and you could go into any big workplace, and you'll notice certain people stand out. Those are the purple cows. Dave Greenitz is the purple cow in the construction industry. He stands out. I'll tell you how he stands out. He stands out because he shows up in the showdown. He shows up when he says he's going to do. He's going to be there to meet you. He gets done when he says he's going to get done or earlier. Uh, he leaves the place clean. He makes sure that you get what you want, and he's creative. He knows what what's the cool things are, and if you don't have your own ideas, he'll have some. Or he'll direct you to some people that have some really amazing ideas, whether it's interior decorating or whether it's design. And so at the end of the day, you're going to get your photo on the Internet of, of your kitchen or your bath and at his website, greenitzconstruction.com. Green E-T-Z, all one word, green E-T-Z, construction.com. Or you can go to Dave Greenitz Construction Facebook site, and they, they publish all these amazing photos of 
actual work he's done, not somebody else's work that he says, I can do stuff like that. No, 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 no. It's his work. He's not like tooting somebody else's horn. He's tooting his own horn. But he also st does other stuff. Say you have a small house. Maybe you bought a little house. It's your starter house. And it's only 1,100 square feet. That's where I was raised. 1,100 square feet. Five of us live there. <clears throat> couple, I had a half-brother, half-sister, and two parents. I thought it was a big house, but it's only 1,100 square feet. But then my parents decided to add a deck. Man, what a cool thing that was. We added like about 1,000 square feet. Maybe 500, let's see, 10 by 50. Maybe 500 feet of deck, 400, 500 feet. Well, that was unbelievable because you'd open the side doors of the house and just walk right out outside, but it was all like barbecue and seating out, outdoors. And this time of year, we don't, we're not going to see any rain till October. You can like barbecue, hang out, go out there and play cards all night, have a good time and not have to heat or cool it. Check that out. So... And, and there's amazing decks out there that don't rot like these ones used to, right? They were, even redwood. I had a redwood deck that lasts about 10 or 12 years, and then it fell apart. I, had to, I replaced it. So they could put you decks today that are bulletproof decks. You, you know they make bulletproof decks now? They're amazing. And they also, the other thing that right now, this week, they tell me in California where I live, it's going to get up to 85 or 90 or 103. I thought, oh, when it gets to 103, a hair... The remaining hairs I have on my head just fall right off. It's freaky. And so the cool thing is, no pun intended, that Dave Greenis can put in a whole house fan, which pulls that funky hot air out of your attic and gives it back out to Mother Nature. And then they draws in the cool air and it cuts down on if you have central air oh my goodness it's like pg&e's got their hand in your pocket big time 60 percent higher rates here than in other states so dave can help you save a lot on utilities we're not talking solar here we're talking about just hooking up a whole house fan to suck all that funky air out and then bring in the cool air uh when it's cool outside right and you're coasting on that electric electric bill so check out Dave Greenis Construction. You can email him off his uh, website, or you can message him off his Facebook site, or you can do old-style dial-up, ring him up, 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602, or you can Google his name and get it yourself instead of me being your AT&T answer lady. So take that. All right. So where was I? I was talking about, uh, let me see down here. I was just finishing up talking about the National Pension Tracker. you got to go check this out. Let me tell you what's going on. Then I'm going to go on and talk about Gavin, Gavin Newsom for a second. I wish politicians would just be honest, but they can't. They cannot be. They get themselves in, they, they, they all have a flat spot on the brain or they took the stupid pill thinking that somehow, even though they were just a mechanic or a pharmacist or a farmer before they became a supervisor. But once they swear them in, somehow there's that feeling that they got anointed from God and that somehow they, they took a smart pill and they, they're a lot smarter than they were just a day before. And, and then they have all this money 
at their disposal that they are not held accountable on how they spend, right? Or how they commit. If they were hold, hold, held accountable to what commitments they made to the employee unions, we would put them in jail because they ripped us off. They defrauded the public because they promised money they did not have. That's called a Ponzi scheme. That's called a Madoff, Bernie Madoff scheme. Those boys both did a lot. Bernie is still in prison. Charles passed. He came to pass. But if you held politicians accountable, you would put them in jail because they ripped off the public. Now, they don't want to tell you, and then they'll argue how they, they saved us money. They saved us money by borrowing from the Yuba Water Agency. But if you have to borrow, if you have to borrow money, you're in trouble. When you don't have money on hand, the best situation is to have money on hand that you've budgeted. You'd set this money aside. And then when you need to fix that ditch or that culvert or that highway, then you spend it. Right now, what they do, they're always behind. They borrow money and then they say, oh, but we're borrowing. We're actually saving you money by borrowing money, even though they're spending a million dollars in interest. Well, we're really we're borrowing it from that agency over here. So we're paying them a million dollars in interest. So one agency is benefiting the, the other agency. You know, it's all double speak. It's double and triple speak. It's speaking with a forked tongue. Somebody said an Indian. I don't know, not an East Indian, but a West Indian said that. He speak with forked tongue. I thought that. I think that's good. So, but that's what's happening. And, and so uh, most people, when you speak a lot of statistics or numbers to them, they kind of blur over. It's like a bad movie. You just think, oh, this is painful to listen to. So they don't want to listen and they don't want to fight it. So politicians just keep, they just keep manipulating and moving money around and do doublespeak. Like instead of saying, we screwed up. In fact, a lot of us have screwed up over here and we've made commitments that we cannot afford. And therefore, we're going to stop doing that. They don't say that. What they say is the cost of doing business. They'll say this, excuse me. They'll say the income, the revenue coming in in 2018-19 was higher. The revenue coming in 2017-18 was higher. The revenue coming in 2016-17 was higher. They said the same thing all three fiscal years. However, the cost of doing business is also skyrocketing. Where is it skyrocketing? When I go to buy a latte or a cup of coffee, it's about the same. When I go to get a couple eggs... It's about the same. Where is it skyrocketing? I buy a tire. It's about the same. We're not having a lot of inflation. Where are we having these skyrocket stuff? Pensions. Because they promised money they didn't have. It's kind of like somebody saying to me, Lou, I need $1,000. I, I really, I just got myself in a jam, da, 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 da. But, but I know I'll have money coming up. And I'll pay you back. It's like a guy came by here the other day and he said, I need $20 for gas. And he said, I got a check coming in. I'll be right back over here to pay you. Do you think he came back? He did not. It's the same way with the $1,000. If I give somebody $1,000, how do you think he's going to pay his own way and then also pay me back my $1,000? When you're going bankrupt, you're going bankrupt. And all of a sudden, you're not going to have this windfall to pay back just keep going. When you see people borrowing to pay current current in, uh, debt, they're in financial trouble. 
I don't care what everybody. If you're confused by this, you need to go out of Yuba College if they teach economics out there and take an economics 101 class or Sac State or just get a book. Get a Thomas Sowell basic book on economics and he will explain it to you. Any money manager. I'm talking about a guy that helps you learn how to manage your budget, not make investments, but just any person helping you manage your own financial life. Pay the bills live according to means, will tell you if you are borrowing to make your ends meet, you are totally screwed up. But in government, they think, oh, no, no, we're, we're doing you a favor. We are helping you out. We are saving money by, by paying interest. Now, that's just stupid, right? That's a guy peeing on your boots and trying to explain to you that it's just sprinkling. It's just raining. That's what we're doing. There's a lot, a lot of pissing on boots nowadays and a lot of baloney that's being tossed at us. So, uh, all right. Well, I, I, uh, I told you about Dave Greenitz. And so if you want, listen, you know something in construction. I, I see people post on Facebook. Hey, hey, I'm new to town. Uh, I, I need an electrician. I need a mechanic. I need this. I need and people saying, "Well, you know, I am Uncle Bernie. I, I, have, I have brother. My brother name is Bernie, and he, uh, he, he's got some experience. He's done some. He's a. He's just kind of got a knack at it, right? He's got. Some, you know, he does a lot of work at his home. He, he's read those books, you know, uh, wiring your home for dummies, right? The book he read the book wiring your home for dummies. You know, you hear all these, I, I watch these people, I don't even post on Facebook. I just, I connect with some people in in Asia. That's why I have Facebook. But I don't go on there and give my two cents. I just think, honestly, Facebook needs to come to an end, in my view. It's just like horrible, horrible deal. Anyway, I'll tell you some more stories later if we have time. But I just get a kick out of people's recommendations. Oh, my Uncle Jerry, yeah, he's he's great. And, uh, well, you know, he has a little mental problem, but you know, when he, when he's having a good day, he could, he could change your spark plugs on your car, right? Unbelievable. So, you know, anyway, uh, Dave Greenitz and the guys he has hired, they're all aces. They're all ace remodelers. All of them could run their own business and have their own business. They're, they're, and their subs they hire. I know the subs. I know them personally. These guys, I've been around here for years. I wouldn't even talk about these guys unless I knew them and, and thought they were great. You know, if it, I like things done well. I don't know about you. I don't know about any of you. But I like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to pay the money, and I want it to, done excellently. I want it to look sharp. I want, to be, I want it to be long-lasting. I'm, I'm not going to go cheap on paint or tires or shoes, Right? I'm going to, I'm going to pay the money to get quality. I'm going to get a good buy, but I'm going to, I'm going to get good quality. So think about that and check out if you want to, if you want somebody to brainstorm updating your house and making it beautiful. Maybe you got your kids are moving out. They're headed. They finished college. They're gone. They're hitting the road jack and it's time to like fix up your house. Like you always wanted. Cause you're not paying for all those kids tuition clothing medical they're expensive feeding them they eat a, they eat like a horse a day all right so uh, that's that we're in we're in our fourth segment here and uh <clears throat> then i got one other guy that helps us that i'll mention later on 
Well, we were talking that Gavin Newsom wants the mayor of San Francisco. Then he was <clears throat> lieutenant governor. Now he's governor. And uh, he's got some unique ideas. He's just, a, he's just a flawed human being. He's committed adultery on his wife. I mean, you know, he's just a mess. He's a, you know, uh, or he committed adultery with someone else's wife. I think it was one of his secretaries or event planners or something. You know, he just, he's a sinful human being. Like I tell kids in juvenile hall, you did, you shouldn't have done what you did to violate the law. You hurt somebody. But maybe the worst thing you ever did is you turned yourself into the system, which has been governed by judges and probation officers who all have issues themselves. And they make bad decisions sometimes. But you're subjected to them unless you want. And if you don't follow the rules perfectly, they'll go back to jail. Right. So Gavin Newsom's made his own mistakes. So while Gavin Newsom, like a lot of political leaders, think there there's laws for you and me and then they don't have a law. So when he was mayor of San Francisco, while uh, the only people that could have a legitimate marriage certificate was a man and a woman who got married. He just decided, in spite of the law, he was going to uh, bless marriages and make them legal. As a mayor, you could marry people. So he began marrying, providing the marriage certificate, license, <clears throat> ceremony for same-sex couples. Now, I don't know that he married anybody to an animal, like a man to a female dog. Although I saw some ceremonies down there in San Francisco where guys married their pet. <clears throat> it's a unique city. So Gavin Newsom broke the law and started that whole thing. And now he's saying, uh, along with the governors of Washington and Oregon, that uh, he wants to stand against this movement in the United States to take away the reproductive rights of females. Now, we don't talk about the reproductive rights of males, even though a, a reproduction couldn't occur without semen. And uh, he doesn't talk about the reproductive rights of the person that's wanting to be produced, which is a baby, on the way. So Newsom, uh, along with the governors of Washington, Jay Inslee and Oregon, Kate Brown, they all agreed together saying Roe is Roe versus Wade. Roe is settled law, but newly enacted and clearly unconstitutional laws. This is amazing how they found a, a, in our Constitution where our founding fathers were totally, they felt abortion was murder back then. That somehow in the Constitution, abortion is legal, right? It's clearly unconstitutional in a handful of states compel our states, Washington, Oregon, California, to act now to reaffirm long-standing commitments to safeguard the fundamental rights of women. Now, you notice that never the, the, the declaration that was sent out to all the governors said, Dear fellow governor, May 31, 2019. The, I've got the whole thing written here. I'm not going to read it to you. It's BS. They do not mention anywhere in here the rights of the father. Nor do they mention the, the rights of the child, nor do they even use the word child, children, baby. It's all euphemisms, right? So Gavin Newsom is encouraging women from here, there, and everywhere 
around the United States of America to fly to this state and he will help them get an abortion if they want one, right? The right to kill. So we're becoming, we, we have, we've uh, stepped it up another notch over all the politicians in the country. Um, eventually, Gavin Newsom will run for president of the United States, and he will proclaim, I was the first guy to marry same-sex people. I was the first guy to grant an abortion to any, I was willing to kill any kid that I could get my hands on, cut them up, burn them, poison them, stab them, cut their vocal cords sell their body parts. We in California, we want to be the trendsetter in part sales. In fact, I said in my article that California is so gnarly that not only did we okay companies taking apart a child and selling its body parts, but when an investigative reporter, David Delighton, and a woman, I think her name was Merritt, they caught these doctors on video and tape in public places talking about selling livers and heads and brains and kidneys and how much they were getting per part. And so when they put this out in the media, Kamala Harris, then now she's secretary, she's a senator wanting to be president. She was the attorney general, and she, instead of going after Planned Parenthood, who was selling these body parts for a profit, she instead went after and prosecuted the journalist. Isn't that amazing? That's what she did. So if you don't bow at the altar of child death, child murder, uh, you will be outed, and you will be prosecuted and persecuted. But that's what's going on here. Number of years ago, I tell this story every once in a while because Americans are a little slow. Number of years ago, I began going to China. We were smuggling Bibles to the persecuted church. People were being, people say, you're kidding, Lou. There's still communists out there. You're kidding, Lou. You mean, you mean they can't have a Bible? There's illegal to have a Bible? Oh my God. It's, they're being put in jail. Honestly, folks, uh, this country is ripe to be overtaken by somebody with just a low IQ. So people would say those things to me. I'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I finally, when the e emails started happening and we started enjoying the use of email, <clears throat> I said, listen, when I go to overseas, please do not email me and without cleaning up what you're saying. In other words, don't talk about what I'm doing in these foreign countries because the emails are getting read. Now, an article I read the other day, title is, Chinese dissidents are being executed for their organs, former hospital worker says. And I have another article. It talks about that, you remember I talked about our, uh, our fund, our CalPERS fund is politically correct. In other words, they said, we don't want to invest in any fossil fuels, no oil. We don't want to invest in uh, anybody that doesn't appreciate the many genders we have. If they just believe in two genders, we're not going to invest in them. And uh, we're not going to invest in c cigarettes because they're bad, nasty. So because of that, the 
public employee retirement fund is losing hundreds of billions of dollars because they don't want to invest in socially incorrect funds. And so they, when, they're, when they don't make enough money, then they just come back to the cities, the counties, and other jurisdictions and say, we need more money. We didn't, we didn't have very great returns. Well, they didn't, they're never going to have great returns because they invest stupid. So this, so when I'd go to China or Vietnam, well, I'd say, don't email me and talk to me and mention what I'm doing here. I'm going to get in trouble. And they would just say, Lou, you're just paranoid. You're a conspiracy theorist. But then under Obama, under Clinton, you realize that the, the NSA and other inquisitive organizations like the FBI were using email, Facebook, and all other kinds of things to monitor and track people in telephones. And so I, and here it's, it's in our country, and I would just tell them, hey, it's over there. I don't know about our, our country back in the 1990s. So anyway, it says universities and retirees are funding the technology behind Chinese surveillance state. Now, in China and Vietnam, so there's a photo of, of uh, the, this massive room with all these military guys with military haircuts, with headphones, and a, uh, a computer, ter- a little terminal, just a screen, and then a, a mouse, and they're looking at all emails. And there's thousands of these guys in the room. And maybe there's girls, but in my shot, it just shows all guys. And they are monitoring the commentary, the ongoing commentary on social media, on the various social medias in China. And if there is any negative comments about the government, they are arrested and they disappear. That's just how that works. Oh, my God, I don't believe that. Honestly, Americans are some of the lamest people I know. And so uh, my friends in Vietnam that kind of copies China in terms of their security measures... He gets called up. He just it, You can imagine you're sitting at your house and you get called up by the local police station, say Maris or Yuba City in this case, and they say, hey, uh, where you been? And a lot of Americans just say, hey, to hell with you. What do you mean where I've been? What's your problem, right? Over there, you do that. They'll just come pick you up and lock you up. You don't get any court dates. You don't get jacked. You don't get any explanation of your rights, no Miranda ruling or whatever. And so um, over there, they'll just call you up or they'll pick you up and say, we need to talk. Where, how come you were in this other country last week? How come you traveled to Hanoi last week? And they harass you until they get a satisfactory response. So what's going on in, in these Chinese and Asian countries, other Asian countries, Google and some of these big companies – that are being invested in by these big uh, pension funds. They're the ones that are repressing and having people killed for their anti-government talk. Now, an anti-government talk would be like this. We want more civil rights, right? We don't want you to be prejudiced against our minority group. We want to have freedom of speech. We want to be able to protest and have a march. We want, we want, we want. You remember those days when Moses told Pharaoh that we wanted to go out to three days journey into the wilderness and worship? And Pharaoh just kept saying, no, 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 right? 
And that's how it is there. I'm going to come right back. We're at the end of our uh, second hour. And uh, so at the break here, you've heard a lot about Senator John McCain, quote unquote, war hero. There's an amazing article that was written years ago, kind of the article on John McCain, the definitive article in Rolling Stone magazine. I read it. It's unbelievable. You got to read the article, Rolling Stone magazine, John McCain. You could find it on you on the uh, internet. But this is this interviews the author, and it's five myths about John McCain. So listen to that, to that, and then we'll begin our third hour, and uh, we'll be right back. Well, I was born in a small town. This is Tim Dickinson. I'm a contributing editor with Rolling Stone. I cover national affairs and politics. Um, it's been my belief that the media have been vetting the wrong candidate. Uh, and part of our logic for doing this piece was to try and subject John McCain to the same sort of scrutiny uh, that has recently befallen Sarah Palin. I just wrote the cover story, Make Believe Maverick, and I'm here to tell you the top five myths about John McCain. Myth number five that John McCain is, was, or has ever been an outsider. John McCain likes to present himself as an outsider. Uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. He grew up in the district. He attended an elite prep school across the river called Episcopal, where today tuition costs $42,000 a year. The house that he grew up in uh, during his teenage years was a prime pit stop on the Washington cocktail circuit that today John McCain likes to denounce. His dad was the Navy's Senate liaison. John McCain himself held that spot as the Senate's top lobbyist after he returned from Vietnam. Uh, and he used that position to buddy up to senators like uh, Gary Hart and even Joe Biden. In a far cry from the way he bills himself today, in his first congressional campaign, John McCain billed himself as an insider, someone who knew the ways of Washington and could get things done. John Sidney McCain III's biography is familiar because it's very similar to that of George W. Bush. Both are the third generation of American dynasty. Both men rebelled against their privilege into mediocrity. Both men have shed their skins as Washington elitists, reinventing themselves as Westerners who inhabit ranches and pray to Jesus in their wives' evangelical churches. Myth number four, that John McCain was a Top Gun pilot. John McCain calls himself a maverick and clearly enjoys the Top Gun nickname, but he was not a Top Gun. John McCain had graduated fifth from the bottom of his class at Annapolis um, out of a class of about 900 students. He took that same sort of level of academic discipline into uh, his days as a pilot. And John McCain uh, was known f uh, more as a party boy, as a fly boy, than a skilled pilot. He paid very little attention to his flight manuals and instead liked to drink, he liked to play poker, he liked to play craps, he'd hit the dog track, he'd sometimes stay out all night and then show up for flight practice. Perhaps as a result, uh, he had a knack for stalling out the engine uh, of his planes. John McCain crashed three planes, and that doesn't count the plane that was shot down or the plane that was involved in the forestal fire, the, supercarrier that came ablaze when a, a rocket hit his uh, A-4 Tinker Toy bomber. Under any normal circumstances, John McCain would have had his wings taken away from him. 
Navy pilots didn't get this many chances, but John McCain wasn't a normal Navy pilot. Uh, during his training for Vietnam, he was stationed at McCain Field, which was named for his grandfather. Uh, and one time when he was coming in for a landing, they told him to wait and circle around, and he didn't want to do that. And so he said, you'll let me land now, or I'll take my field and go home. Myth number three is that somehow John McCain was the hero of the POW camps. For this piece, I talked to two former POWs who served with John McCain, and they described his experience as average. Um, he was tortured into a confession, he gave up some military information, uh, but for the most part was just another one of the POWs. At the Republican National Convention, Fred Thompson said that John McCain had been tortured for five and a half years. Uh, in fact, that's not true. John McCain was uh, tortured over a course of about a year and a half to two years from 1967 to late 1969 when Ho Chi Minh died and the treatment of the POWs uh, got much better. In the, in the official John McCain narrative, uh, he was offered a, a chance to go home, and this was the great test of his medal, um, that he was offered a chance to go home, but he decided to stay there in Hanoi with his fellow prisoners. But in talking to the fellow POWs, uh, they also described being offered this early release. And what that meant was uh, making statements disloyal to one's country, uh, talking about how great the Vietnamese were, um, and, and in short, uh, doing the kinds of things that could subject a POW to court-martial uh, upon return. And so they described this decision as not hard because the conditions of the release were to be disloyal to one's country, and that was to both of them and to most of the POWs unacceptable. Myth number two, the John McCain is a straight-talking reformer. John McCain is most famous for campaign finance reform which was an effort to get large, unregulated sums of soft money out of politics. But the way he chose to pursue this reform was totally hypocritical. He set up something called the Reform Institute, which solicited large, unregulated sums of soft money from corporate interests, interests who had business before John McCain's Senate Commerce Committee. And the final and number one myth about John McCain is that John McCain always puts country first. In fact, John McCain has put himself first. We've watched him run for president twice now, once in 2000 as a principled centrist who asked America uh, to judge him by the way he ran his campaign. And now he's running in 2008 as an unprincipled hawk, someone who's practicing Karl Rove politics and very much the same kind of candidate that he once denounced. For political reasons, he's changed his position on any number of issues from his own immigration platform and even on his very personal issue of torture. The only constant there is a man who wants to be president, a man who has been overwhelmed by his ambition, a man whose character is his ambition. As his former Republican Senate colleague Lincoln Chafee told me, John McCain puts himself first. He puts himself first in blinking neon lights. Well, when you're sitting there you enjoyed the uh, <clears throat> clip on John McCain. The clip doesn't nearly do justice to the article. You got to read the article. If you've ever wondered what the truth is about the character we know as John McCain and people just because he 
crashed a plane <clears throat> in Hanoi and ended up in the uh, Hanoi Hilton up there for a number of years. People give him a pass on the rest of his life. Listen, this guy was a total jerk. No character whatsoever. And uh, I don't care how long he was incarcerated and for what. The guy was a total jerk. And so, uh, it, listen, if you want to, you may think, oh, yeah, the Rolling Stone, it's like a really liberal paper. Honestly, it's an investigative piece that put together this guy's whole, I mean, it's not like philosophical. The guy did stuff. So check it out. So uh, <clears throat> this is our last hour, and uh, I wanted to uh, also mention uh, another guy kind of like the Dave Greenitz out of the Dave Greenitz mold Ted Holmes and he runs the plumbing doctor they serve up I think I don't know how many counties they serve here you've been Sutter County certainly but they'll uh they'll respond to your plumbing needs 24 hours a day normally someone was mentioning to me the other day a friend around the corner that has seven in her family three generations seven people and and their toilet just quit working right right and uh so they rent this place and they're happy to have it because we have a shortage of housing here because we've had so many forest fires because of the bad management of our forests by the government entire cities have burned up in california and so anyway there's not enough places to live now is that amazing so they had a toilet problem when you have only one toilet in some of these older houses in downtown Marysville just one one toilet and you got seven people when that toilet goes down big problems right and uh so you call your landlord and hope that they are responsive to you many of them are not unfortunately but if you can call your own plumber plumbing doctor will come 24 hours a day and give you a quote they won't say, well, we'll just work at it, see how many hours it takes. They just say, they'll give you a quote, kind of like off a menu, right? be like going to some restaurant and you order and they don't have any prices and they'll say, well, we'll just, we'll cook at it and we'll work at it. And at the end of the meal, we'll just tell you what we think it took. <laughs> That's how plumbing does it sometimes. So Plumbing Doctor can help you out. 671, it's 530, area code 671-9111. Five three zero six seven one nine one one one, and supposedly, although I've never called in the middle of the night because I haven't had a need in the middle of the night. The only time you had a need in the middle of the night is if a water line broke and water was spraying in my face. Six seven one nine one 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 five three zero area code, and they'll take you take good care of you. Ted Holmes is an honorable man. I've traveled all over the world with that guy, doing charitable work giving away his money and his time, including around here in the Yuba Sutter area. He helped remodel the a Woman's Friend Pregnancy Resource Center, which helps women for free figure out what they're going to do when they're pregnant and in crisis. They're trying to sort out life, and these folks will help them. Ted went over there and helped them for months trying to satisfy the stupid regulations of a liberal government, trying to force these anything but abortion clinics out of business. 
So I was talking to you about <clears throat> the naivete, the stupidity, the ignorance of Americans to think that <clears throat> their phones, their whereabouts aren't being tracked, their emails aren't being read, their Facebook posts aren't being read. I told a guy the other day, people befriend me on Facebook. I, I know a lot of people that are really respectable people and some that have been in a lot of trouble. So some been in a lot of trouble. They, It's the funniest thing. I guess I'm just from the wrong generation. People think that they, that they can go on Facebook and cuss out the whole world because they're having a bad day. And somebody really gives a rip. I have to just like discontinue people all the time. I abort them. Because they're dropping the F-bomb and cussing out. Maybe somebody did them wrong. And so they, I thought, hey. Why don't you talk to them? Why do you think I need to hear about this? And I, I contacted this guy the other day because he contacted me and wanted some help. I said, do you know what you're doing? Do you understand how Facebook works, dude? Will you st shut your stupid mouth? Like, do you know cops pay attention to this? Authorities pay attention to this? And you go on one of your rants? Why don't you just discontinue Facebook and go and... Go out in the backyard and rant. Jeez. So on top of the ignorance and stupidity and uh, the thick-headedness of Americans about government uh, messing with your life, poking around in your life, violating your rights, in China... They not only pick you up off the street if you do something they don't like, they do not give you any kind of court hearings, and they, they, I have been arrested a couple times, and they never did a blood draw on me. In China, they do a blood draw on you. You know why? Because they're checking your DNA. They didn't used to be possible. You know that? When I went to Yuba College, first time I went to Yuba College, I was a youngster, and they didn't even know how to spell DNA. Today, you can go to Yuba College and get your DNA checked, probably. I've been there now. I was there in the 80s, and, and they were doing DNA stuff. Why would they check your DNA if you get incarcerated as a political or a person of unrest, religious unrest? The reason is, is they're going to keep your blood type, your DNA, in a database, and then if Lou Benninger has a couple bad kidneys and needs kidneys transplanted. I can fly in there. You know how in America you have to go on these? I've had people on waiting lists, my friends. They got hepatitis C and their liver's blowing out, and they're waiting for a liver, waiting for a liver, waiting for a liver. Lou, they said, if I don't get a liver, I'm going to die. If I don't get a liver, I'm going to die. And some of them are on, they got to wait till somebody dies, and then they could harvest their liver, Right. In China, they kill a person to take their liver. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's kind of like when you go to a fish restaurant in Vietnam. You go to a fish restaurant, and out back they have a pond that they're actually growing fish, raising fish. And so they go out there, and they just net a fish, fresh fish, and they don't even have to have refrigeration. They just catch the fish, gut the fish, clean the fish, fry the fish, bring it to your table. That's exactly the process of China, they have a, uh, 
organ transplant industry where they remove the body parts of dissidents, people that disagree with the government. Next time you disagree with you in Sutter County, think of this. If you just got picked up off the street, your DNA was taken, and then somebody like Lou Benninger came to town and said, I need a kidney. Within two days, they, they find somebody with a good match. They, they borrow that person's kidney forever and put it in my body, and then I fly back to the United States after giving them a fancy sum of money. You with me? So, I'll tell you this story. <clears throat> I'm going to call this guy Zhang. Z-H-E-N-G. I won't get into the last name. It's a little radical on how to talk, say it. Zhang still has nightmares. He was interning at China's Shenyang Army General Hospital when he was drafted to be part of an organ harvesting team. In other words, he was, he was a doc. The prisoner was brought in, tied hand and foot, but very much alive. In other words, a live person was brought in bound hand and foot. The army doctor in charge sliced him open from chest to belly button and exposed his two kidneys. He, and then he said to me, cut the veins and arteries. Zhang did as he was told, blood spurting everywhere. The kidneys were placed in an organ transplant container. Then the doctor ordered Zhang to remove the man's eyeballs. Hearing that, the dying prisoner gave him a look of sheer terror, and George froze. I can't do it, he said to the doctor, who then quickly scooped out the man's eyeballs himself. Zhang was so unnerved by what he had seen that he quit his job at the hospital and returned home. Later, afraid that he might be the next victim of Chinese forced organ transplant business, he fled to Canada, Canada and assumed a new identity. First-person accounts like Zhang's are understandably rare. The transplant tourists who come to China are naturally told nothing about the donors of their new heart, liver, kidney, etc., and those who are executed for their organs tell no tales. Experts estimate that between 60 and 100,000 organs are transplanted every year in China. Multiply that number times the cost of a liver transplant, which is $170,000. Worth it, right? If you, knew, if, if you knew your husband or your father was dying of liver disease and and you, then they told you at the local hospital you have to go on a wait list. You could just call. You could just connect to China and make a flight over there in a week, and pay your money and have yourself a new liver. Would you do it, knowing that a live prisoner was going to be murdered for that? Kidney transplants are one hundred and thirty thousand dollars each. The result is a ten to twenty billion dollar transplant business of killing prisoners these are not these are not uh murderers rapists these people are people that just believe in jesus or they believe in buddhism or the falun gong they they do tai chi and stuff like that uh or they are muslims and they don't want to be a part of the chinese system 
these people are being killed and then when when there is a need for their organs and then they their 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 families are notified that they died in jail and that's all they told them and they just they just uh destroy the body Zhang was told nothing about the background of the young man whose kidneys he fatally removed except that he was under 18 under 18 and in excellent health isn't that amazing Experts like Ethan Gutman, Ethan E T H A N Gutman G U T M A N. Ethan Gutman, if you Google his name, is a world-renowned or well-known journalist, written for top newspapers in the United States and overseas. He wrote a book a number of years ago that I <clears throat> purchased and read called "The Slaughter," like slaughterhouse. It will rock your world, but you probably don't want to really know what the world looks like. You just like to live in a fantasy land about China, etc. I don't want to live in a fantasy land. Ethan Gutman uh, believed that the vast majority of these organs are obtained by executing prisoners of conscience. One particularly rich source of fresh organs for China's transplant industry in recent years has been the Falun Gong which was declared a heretical Buddhist sect in 1999 by then-President Zhang Sheng Zemin. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of this group's followers, have been arrested and disappeared into vast network of secret prisons, many never to emerge, at least in one piece. The Muslim minorities of China's far west are apparently next in line. Over the past couple of years, between 1 to 3 million Uyghur and Kazakh men have been arrested and sent to concentration camps. Beijing calls them vocational training centers. Tellingly, all these prisoners of conscience not only had their blood drawn upon entry, but also had their organs examined, presumably so they could be more quickly ma matched with those willing to pay for them. Even more ominously, dedicated organ transplant lanes have been opened at airports in the region. Now, when I go to San Francisco Airport, there's always this expedited line called Global Traveler, and you, you don't have to go through all the rigmarole. But I, in order to get that, i got to drive to the airport a separate time and, and wait in line and pay them $100 to get that. So I haven't done it. So in airports in China, uh, next time I go, I'm going to check this out. They have a dedicated organ transplant lane at airports in the region. Where, and then crematoriums or crematoria, are built nearby as well, nearby the hospitals, to burn up the evidence of the person whose organs were removed. And then they just tell, sorry, your son died, the under-18 boy. He got a little disease and died, and we, we already cremated him. His ashes are in this box. All this suggests that assembly line harvesting of Uyghur, Cossack, and Tibetan organs is already great, uh, getting underwear underway china is not just ridding itself of troublesome minorities it is profiting mightily in the process despite china's claims to the contrary its transplant business is booming and thanks to a western technology called ecmo ecmo it's it's uh, an acronym for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation it has become much much more lucrative 20 years ago, it was only possible to successfully harvest an organ or two from one person, two kidneys or, say, a heart. 
The other organs, such as the lungs and liver, had to be discarded because they had been deprived of oxygen too long because they worked on those other organs. Now, with this ECMO machine, it, it it's kind of a, serves as a fake heart or an artificial heart and lung, and it keeps all the organs just as fresh as can be, and you can harvest one at a time, and, and you can get 100% of all the organs out. So... Uh, before ECMO, a, a victim's few salvageable organs were worth about a quarter of a million dollars. Now with ECMO, every organ can be harvested, even the skin, and the victim is easily worth two or three times or pushing up towards a million dollars. Isn't that something? It's accelerated the killing of innocent people. You think, oh, I think some of these idiot women, I think China is such a wonderful country and they are just such beautiful people and they're just such loving kind and they are so smart and they are just good recyclers and oh they are just they are just they are just so ingenious and and industrious these people telling you people in this country the politicians have been smitten by stupid So, the wait time in Canada, let me give you this, this will get your attention. Proof that the slaughter of donors continues is revealed by the country's amazingly short wait times for organs. Go, go down and f ask your big hospital where they do organ transplants, what's the wait time? In normal countries, sick people can wait for months or years for an organ to become available. The wait time in the UK is three years. UK is England. The wait time in Canada is double that. Six years. How many people live for that? They'll die before they get there. Only in China do organ tourists receive a kidney, heart, or liver transplant within a day, a few days, or weeks of arriving. Go over there. Go to the Great Wall. Do a little tourism. Then go over there and get yourself a new kidney. Boom. You got yourself a kidney. Shell out the money. They want cash. In fact, the last time I was involved in, uh, I, I really wasn't personally involved, but I've helped people with some adoptions. But a friend of mine from Marysville, he and his wife wanted to adopt a child. They already had two on their own, but they thought, oh, let's adopt a child. So they adopted a child from China. And he was so amazed because he was a police officer. He was so amazed that they only would take cash to pay for this kid. You're basically buying yourself a kid that nobody else wanted. They adopted a little girl, paid lots of money in cash. Only See, everything is an industry in China. Only in China do organ tourists receive a kidney heart transplant within a days or weeks of arrival. In fact, some cases, patients have reported that their transplant surgeries were scheduled before they even got to China. They did it over the phone. They lined it all up. Something that could only happen as a result of forced organ heart. A lot of people, oh, well, I don't know. Well, maybe they just are more conducive and donate. Their, they're just on their little driver's license. They put that little sticker and, they, and more of them die. And then they, they donate and they have a better system of getting the people to the hospital. I mean, honestly, people, I've heard the stupidest stuff. It's just, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. Just totally ridiculous. Uh, all right. So in China right now, 
as in Vietnam, because I'm in contact with people that are dealing in both, there has never been, for China, there's never been any worse repression and lack of liberty, freedom, religious freedom. I remember, I remember people, I, we would be smuggling Chinese Bibles into <clears throat> mainland China out of Hong Kong, which at that time was a British protectorate. And people would say to me in America, churches, oh, well, they have Bibles. As if they were over there yesterday, right? Oh, they can go buy them at the store. Oh, well, Am- Amity Press, Amity Press prints Bibles. Oh, this, oh, that. Well, Billy Graham said. <laughs> I just thought, what the hell with Billy Graham? I don't care what he said. He didn't know what he's talking about. But it's just stupid stuff. And they are arresting Christians over there, left and right, Chinese Christians, and other ethnic minorities like Hmong Christians. They are arresting Uyghur Muslims, Kazakh Muslims. You know, that's way up in the west and the north. Lots of Muslims, hundreds of thousands of Muslims. And so people say, oh, well, it's just... But there's never been as much repression. They've told people, you know, the uh, you think the Communist Party, the Communist Party is like the is like the Congress of the United States. You know, there's 435 or something like that House in the House of Representatives, and there's a hundred senators, right? So there's over 500 men and women who are making the big decisions over the entire country, right here. That would be equivalent, like the Communist Party in. Uh, that's who they call the Communist Party leadership in China. So they've told maybe there's thousands, a few thousand of them, but there's it's comparable to our Congress. It's a policy setting group. So they have told the Communist Party leaders that if they have any religious notions, they need to go to a re-education camp and get rid of those, or they will be forcefully removed or they can resign because you cannot be a God-fearer of any flavor and, and be hanging around us. That's just the way that is. So the people in America that just think, oh, are, I've had people say when I'm going to Vietnam, oh, are, is there still a North and a South Vietnam? I said, yeah, there's a North and South in the United States, too. Oh, I mean, are they they still separated? I said, no, they're not still separated, but there is a north and a south part of the country. Honestly, people, if you ever wonder whether our education system has totally failed, just go talk to your neighbor. That'll do it for you. You know, I see posts on Facebook. People can't even spell. They're illiterate. They're illiterate. This country is going back to a, a level of Ill- they can't spell. They they don't even know what punctuation means. It's incredible. So in Vietnam, it's they're liking themselves like China. They they are looking if you make comments on Facebook, Snapchat or or all the Twitter, Viber, uh Skype, you make negative comments about the government. Not not that you want to kill kill the leader, just you just make negative comments about the government. They're not free. We're not free enough. You're against this policy. They'll just pick you up. That's just the way it is. 
You think, oh, well, that's not right. Well, go over and tell them. Why don't you go, why don't you somehow go go to Vietnam, buy a visa, but then cut the visa out and throw it in the garbage on the way over and see what they do when you don't have a visa in your passport and you try to get in the country. And then you try to argue your rights and make a big hissy fit or say, well, I have a right to go in the country, like these Mexicans and other foreigners coming in through the southern border, Africans, Afghanistan people, come to the border. We have a right to come in here. You don't have a right to keep us out. Try that in any of these other countries. See how that's working for you out there. It's not going to work at all because they, they don't negotiate. They just say, hey, these are our laws. This is Vietnam. This isn't Canada. This isn't England. This isn't Sweden. This isn't the U.S. Like, this is our rules. So follow the rule or get, get the hell out of town. We'll, we'll put a guy with a with a uh, AK-47, walk you onto the plane, next plane out of here to Hong Kong, and get you out of here, because we're not interested in you. See you, we never knew you, right? Get out. So, but the hypocrisy, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about that these companies that we think are so pro-American, these are the ones that want communism here, that want left, that these are the ones that want to undermine Trump here. These are the same countries, Twitter, Facebook, Google, that are assisting the communist governments to track their own people so they can put them in jail and get their harvest, organs harvest. Well, you know that the leaders like the idiot over Facebook, oh, well, we, we don't believe in taking people's organs against their will, right? Or take, well, we don't, we didn't know that was happening. You know, it's amazing the people on the liberal side, this conservatives just are so believable, you know, gullible, gullible. There's a all of a sudden there's news that the IRS is targeting conservative groups and not and, and investigating them and harassing them from trying to get an OK to be a nonprofit. And Obama, when Obama's questioned by the media, and they actually don't ask him any more questions after they ask this one question. When did you first hear? How did you hear about this? He said, oh, he said, well, I just read it in the paper. You, you know, I read it. You heard about it first. I just read it in the paper. Oh, well, how did you hear about the Benghazi? You know, the whole. Oh, well, I just read it. And I just saw it on the news. President of the United States. People actually believe him. People actually believe him. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's incredible. It's, it's, I, I just, I just, I'm shocked at the, the, the gullibility. Oh, I don't even know that's a word. Do you know that the 20, the 20th century, that we just finished not too long ago, 20 years ago, and probably continue today, more people, more Christian people, people that profess Christ were killed for their faith. In that hundred years, then all the all the years um, from Jesus Christ forward, in the last two thousand years, you add up all the deaths from the time of Christ f to us. You remember now the calendar, two thousand nineteen, essentially two thousand nineteen years since Christ. But in a hundred years, from nineteen hundred to two thousand. There were more Christians killed than all the previous centuries combined. 
And then we have this liberal media that anytime anything happens to a Muslim, he breaks his finger. Somebody complains about the burqa because they can't see to take the photo because the woman's got her whole head covered. Or this or that. Oh, we make all these exceptions. Well, no, we can't. We can't use a Bible in the public schools. We can't pray in the public schools, but Muslims can do all that. So we we had this incident where a, a, a mosque is attacked by some radical Muslims, their own mosque. And it's just, well, that's just. Oh, those poor people. But recently, a report came out, at least 900 Christian churches have been destroyed at the hands of the Boko Haram. You remember the Boko Haram or the Boko Haram? And when they came in and they took hundreds of little girls, and the best Barack and Michelle could do was do out a little hashtag of like, think about the girls. We couldn't say pray for the girls. Remember the girls. Remember them. Instead of going in there and shooting all those Boko Haram and getting the girls back, well, we're just gonna we're gonna remember them. Hashtag we're gonna remember. Picture Michelle with a little hashtag thing in her hand, a little notice. Nine hundred Christian churches destroyed at the hands of the Boko Haram in northern Nigeria as part of an Islamic radical group's campaign to drive out all Christians. I thought I thought that the Muslims were peaceable people. Damn it. The, the youth wing of the Christian Association of Nigeria reported this. They said that the carnage being carried out against Christians is not accidental. Have you ever accidentally blew up a church? I haven't either. We're going to be right back. we got one more half hour. And uh, for your listening pleasure, we got a clip called Former Democrat Explains Why He Now Supports Trump and then a little surprise funny thing for you. And then we're going to wrap this thing up in another 30 minutes. Be right back. I've been thinking of world's turning We're just hanging on Facing our feet Standing out there alone Oh, we are I'm a Democrat independent, voted for Obama both times, uh, maintained equilibrium, and I just, you know, and then this last one, I voted for neither. When the, when the Mueller investigation turned up what it didn't turn up, and uh, in my party <clears throat> has been going on, has been riding this guy's back for years, I mean, more than two years, and, uh, and I was part of that. I really honestly thought that there was some real problems there. Now it comes out by our own people that uh, that there was no truth to it. And now, now my ex-party is backpedaling like crazy. Honestly, believe that that Mr. Trump is going to is going to reveal a lot to the nation. I'm very anxious to see our country be upright, to get back into instead of everything doom and gloom all the time, getting things back up again. I will vote Trump 2020. If this thing goes like it looks like it's going to go, they got me 100% behind them. So. Bush's failures, this is my belief, my opinion, I think Bush's failures put Obama in office, and I think Obama's failures and Hillary's failures put Trump in office. What he did for his constituents in promising the things that he promised he was going to do, He's done. I mean, I'm not a Trumper, okay?
okay? But I'm telling you, he's put, he's done the, he's done the Supreme Court, he's done, he just has done what he said he was going to do, and you can't ask for no more than that. And you know what people say, small kids, small problems, big kids, bigger problems. And the reason is that as your kids get older, you have to discipline them properly. And I find this very stressful because I'm born and raised in India. So what I consider robust, healthy, high quality parental discipline <laughs> is frowned upon in this part of the world. That's not true, it's illegal. I know because I have checked. And I want to have really well-behaved kids, but that is no use to me if I am in jail. So, I have to learn what you guys do here. And the big thing here is teach your kids about action and consequence using a multitude of techniques. So you have something called star chart. You know what star chart is? Yeah, no, let me tell you, sir. Star chart is you find something vaguely not negative that your child possibly might be able to do and then work it into the conversation and give them a star. Thank you for not kicking me in the face today. Here's a star. <laughs> and then the other one, action and consequence, naughty step. You've been terribly behaved. Kindly go relax on the staircase. like I cannot get on board with this so what do we have from my culture that I can somehow glom onto this so it makes sense to me and then I thought of course our parents talk to us about action and consequence but the way they do it is they implicate us from the time we're very young in their death <laughs> and they use this as a way to guide our behavior um, let me give you an example let me find someone who sir what is your name John John, can I use your name for this? Okay, so John, imagine you're four years old and your mother will say to you, John, I told you to put one spoon of chocolate in the milk, why have you put two? Because you want me to die. <laughs> Very effective with small children, you know? <laughs> Focuses them. Um, and John, your mother could be from anywhere in India. So if she was from Gujarat, she might say something like, John, behcham much mukyo. John, you put two spoons of chocolate in your milk? Why are you drinking milk? Drink my blood. Uh, if she's from Punjab, she would say, John, do chamach paye. Are John, me pitta jawa. Me pitta jawa. John, you put two spoons of chocolate in the milk? Fine. I am going to beat myself to death. You please stay here and enjoy your milk. Yeah. My mom speaks Hindi, so what she would probably say is, Are John, chammach kya tantanare ho, chura uthao. John, why are you tinkling that teaspoon? Pick up the knife, you know, it's what you want. <laughs> really good stuff. Uh, and it was working so well for me with my firstborn, until when he was about seven, I got a phone call from his school. <laughs> and the teacher said, could you and your husband please come in? Your son has some very specific anxieties. <laughs> so I went, I went. I didn't take my husband. My husband is Danish. 
which is to say there is zero overlap in our parenting techniques. <laughs> yeah, Danes, my husband's entire parenting repertoire is, darling, please be very, very, very happy. Here is some Lego. I took a break and some one of my listeners been listening for years left me a bag of fruit fresh fruit California fruit grown right here in our town peaches and nectarines whoa unbelievable almost passed out ate, ate a couple of those got lightheaded had to sit down and take a deep breath bring in a paper bag it's so good so I was telling you about how these churches the carnage being carried out is not accidental in other words, you just have you ever like gone down the street and accidentally just beat somebody to death? I haven't either. Have you ever gone down the street and accidentally caught a church totally on fire? The continued attacks in South Kaduna, Plateau, Banu, Taraba communities show that Boko Haram's war against on the followers of Christ, which started in 2009, continues in full force. Why? Because the United States of America doesn't go over there and kick their butts. You think anybody else is going to? Nope. How do you think Islam went all the way around the world? People say, well, you know, Christians aren't so hot. You remember the Crusades? They don't know. They don't know anything about the Crusades, Christians. The fact is, it's just like today. Finally, Christians got so sick and tired of Muslims doing suicide raids chopping people's heads off, chopping people's hands off, cutting the vaginas off women. They got sick and tired of it, and they, they, they responded finally. You ever, like, taking, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, and you're not going to take it no more? Remember Peter got fed up with the people coming after Jesus, pulled his sword out and chopped, he tried to take the guy's head off, it was a bad swing, and knocked the guy's ear off. At some point, you've just had it, Right. That's a crusade. And everybody said, all of the Christians, they, they, they weren't loving towards the Muslims. Hell no, they're not going to be loving. They're defending themselves. There's nothing wrong with defending yourself. Jesus even said, go out, sell this, sell that, and buy a, buy a darn sword. Chop somebody's head off. Shoot somebody. There's a time for that. There's a season for it. Right? Just like there's duck season and deer season. There's a season to, like, take care of business and not let people push you around. Okay? Christians continue to be the main and constant target of Islamic radicals like Boko Haram and Fulani militants without any hope of ever be, being. And the United Nations, they thought, we, oh, that's nothing. We, we, we're not going to really intervene in this. The Boko Haram pledge allegiance to Islamic State in 2015 has been slaughtering both Christians and moderate Muslims in the same way with ISIS, right? Raiding villages, towns, kidnapping women and children. Oh, yeah, these are nice people. They strap bombs to the little children, have them walk into town, blow everybody up. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, did you hear about the world's, the worst cities in the U.S.? What do you think are the worst cities in the U.S. for first-time homebuyers to get? Let me tell you what they are. 
isn't really surprising. San Francisco, number one, L.A., two. This is in the whole country. San Francisco, one, L.A., two, Sacramento, three, San Jose, four, Riverside, five, San Bernardino, six, San Diego, eight. Those are the first eight. What is it? High prices, feces on the sidewalk, typhoid, cholera, hepatitis C. A lot of issues. Filth. Just, you know, you have to pay so much money. They're not, they're not worth, the houses aren't worth that kind of money. People can leave here and go down to the Midwest and pay half, half as much to get the same thing this year. It's just, just it's totally out, out to lunch. We got about 15 minutes. I want to talk about this. Walter Williams, one of my favorite economists. He's a com- ec- economics professor emeritus at George Mason University. I think Walter must be in his 80s now. He wrote an article. You can look it up. Look up Walter Williams. Articles, Walter Williams. Walter E. Williams. Colleges committed. The title is Colleges Committed to Ideological Diversity. I, my first question was, which ones? So he's listed 10 columns. I guess somebody wrote an article. Uh, professors Deborah Mashik and Jonathan Haidt authored 10 colleges where you won't have to walk on eggshells. Uh, they're at Harvey Mudd University and New York University. And um, they studied universities where it's, you're truly free where in those universities to speak what you wish and to think what you wish and debate freely and uh, to be respectful, but to debate. And um, instead of these things where you're castigated, you're shamed, you're executed, you're aborted from the college. So here's uh, students won't have to walk on eggshells, they said, at Arizona State University. So some of you with graduates now, uh, you might think about this. So I, I find... Parents don't think about this at all. I've never had a parent ask me what university or college should I send my child to where they would have Christian values or they would have patriotic values or they wouldn't mock them for loving their family, respecting their family and, and respecting uh, morality, right? Maybe they're a virgin for God's sake. God forbid. So they talk about Arizona State University, Claremont McKenna College, Kansas State University, Kenyon College, Lynn Benton Community College, St. John's College, University of Richmond, and Purdue University. Mitch Daniels, you might remember Mitch. He was George Bush Bush's head of uh, Office of Management and Budget. He's now... Uh, then he was the governor. He was a two-term governor of state of Indiana, turned around that state to the positive. Now he's president of Purdue University. Daniels and his interim provost, Jay Ackridge, wrote this message to the Purdue Un- University community recently. They said, at Purdue, we protect and promote the right to free and open inquiry in all matters and guarantee all members of the university community the broadest possible latitude to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn. That's what college is all about. Now, it's interesting that they did not mention Hillsdale College in Michigan, which I get, uh, 
I get a paper from, and I I was going to bring it and put it somewhere and read from it today, but I don't think I have time. you got to do it yourself. Here's the deal. There, This is a publication of Hillsdale College. It's called Imprimus, or Imprimus. I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S. They send out 45... 4.5 millions of these each month or every other month. And the articles are amazing. I, not, I mentioned to you a couple months ago about Range. It's just Range. It's a magazine, Range. Everybody should read it that's a conservative or that wants to know the truth about this country. Most liberals don't give a rip. There is an article that I thought was going to be kind of corny, but it is heart-shaking and the, the title of the article here is sacred duty a soldier's tour at arlington national cemetery written by tom cotton he's a u.s senator from arkansas after he served in the house of representatives <clears throat> he serves on lots of different things um he's a graduate of harvard college he studied government at claremont graduate school he's an attorney the interesting thing is, in, just in 2005, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army, rose to first lieutenant, and served deployments in Iraq with the 101st Airborne and in Afghanistan with a provincial reconstruction team. His military decorations include the Bronze Star Medal, Combat Infantry Badge, and Ranger Tab. He is the author of Sacred Duty, a Soldier's Tour at Ar Arlington. Anyway, this is some information it's just too long to to read to you. I think if I read it, you would love it. But I don't have the time left to do today. I don't. Th I don't think I should take the time. I only have about ten minutes left. But it isn't that. It's about. Uh, it's about a five or ten minute read. It will rock your world, and it it will inform you. Uh, it, it will rock your world. Arlington Seal calls it our nation's most sacred sh shrine. To borrow from de Tocqueville in a different context, those rolling hills at Arlington Cemetery seem called by some secret design of providence to become our national cemetery. That's that. The, those rolling hills were not yet a cemetery. And... Um, it is so fascinating how they, the area that is the cemetery became the cemetery. I mean, the, the politics and the, the people who was married to whom and all the connections are really, it had to do with George Washington fam, his uh, descendants, Robert, uh, in the drama, Robert E. Lee's involved, lots of different leaders in the, in the country. Winfred Scott, uh, lots of amazing people. So uh, anyway, if you if you can get that, let's see. You can. Uh, I'm trying to see what the easiest way. You can call them at 800-334-8904 at Hillsdale College. I was looking for an email. Oh, here's the deal. Just send an email to Imprimus. I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S. 
I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S at hillsdale.edu. If you don't have a computer, just dial 800-437-2268. 800-437-2268. It's free of charge. It is a it, it, it doesn't overwhelm you. There's one article. That's all there is. One article every two months, I think it is. And uh, you can also get it sent to you electronically where you're not fussing around with having to go to the post office or wait until it arrives. It'll just pop up in your email box. So um, see if you can order it just by going to the email and you can get it. And so this one is Sacred Duty, a Soldier's Tour at Arlington National Cemetery. It, everybody in America should, should read this. Now, um, this is our 10th episode. I mentioned uh, we came from live radio, AM, FM, up here in Northern California. AM didn't reach very far. FM was always screwed up because... We, we didn't get enough power, and then we had live stream. It was always breaking down, so we switched to podcasts. So we lost a lot of listeners when we switched over to podcasts because we couldn't announce it by, in, in the way that we ended our relationship over there. But um, people that have connected either through their iTunes or Google, they just go to No Hostages Radio. They just put that in there, and then you, that you could it create the app creates a connection. And then whenever there's a new new show put up, it it dings your phone or whatever. But um, you can also go to our website and you could pick up my articles that I've also written called no it's at no hostage hostages plural no hostages radio dot com, and there's all previous broadcasts are there, nine of them are on there now plus two articles uh, for each of them. The articles weren't coordinated with the broadcast, but people have said, hey, hey, can you put your articles from the newspaper on there as well? So I do that now as well. So this is our our 10th edition. If you want to email me, you can email me at Lou, Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com, Lou at nohostagesradio.com. You can email me. I'll respond to you. I'll do that myself. I don't have a staff. It's just me, and there's me. Um, if you want to text me, my cell phone is 530-713-1838. So you think, oh, my God, he's given his, self, he's given his own cell phone number out all over the, the United States. I don't really care. All the criminals around here have it. It doesn't cause me any problem. So if you want to text me, maybe you want to give me an update of what's, what's going on where you are. I know some of my friends in Idaho and Missouri have texted me like the differences in gas prices or what they're paying for uh, car fees, re- registration fees, utilities. It's kind of interesting. It's fun. So you can, you can text me at... Uh, Five three zero seven one three one eight three eight, or you can use that uh, email, and that'll get you you hooked up with me. And if you want to get involved in the thing, now there's a lot that I am really appreciated appreciative of Trump for. Way more, way more than any other president I voted for. 
But this recent thing is troubling to me, and that is that one of the big scams, uh, last week we paid, played a clip about sugar, the sugar scam, and paying these million-dollar, multi-million-dollar, billion-dollar sugar industry people tax money, and, and it forces the it, – they put tariffs on sugar, so it forces the cost of candy made here or any kind of sugar products up a lot higher than they need to be. One of the big corporate welfare scams is paying farmers to grow corn, a certain kind of corn that has a lot of ethanol, that they produce ethanol. First of all, it's really bad for the environment, ethanol. Second of all, the raising of the corn to turn into ethanol is bad for the environment. It also cuts down on the amount of land available to raise food. So growing all those acres, corn takes a lot of water. So you're using a lot of water, a lot of fertilizer to grow corn to turn into ethanol to burn in a fossil fuel engine. Why wouldn't you just forget the ethanol if it's not efficient, it's harder on your engine? Why wouldn't you just use fossil fuels that we still keep, we continue to find more and more fossil fuels, right? So somehow there's this feel-good thing about ethanol, but it's a big loser. Uh, it's a big loser. So it looks like Trump is going to go along with advocating for more and more ethanol to be created because of some of the tariffs have hurt farmers. Uh, and it says here that Trump needs the Corn Belt to win re-election, and that means keeping the Midwestern states happy. He's already offered $28 billion in direct payments to farmers hurt by Chinese tariffs, which were especially targeted to hit states that Trump won in 2016. Uh, so the author says this person can use whatever linguistics, gymnastics he wants, but this is about votes and nothing besides. It's certainly not about the concern for Mother Earth. Ethanol is bad for the environment, this article says. As I mentioned, massive amounts of water, pollution, prep for the fields, etc., and uh, so he says, the author says, it's been proven that ethanol use degrades engines and fuel lines faster than regular gasoline, especially in small engines like yard equipment. This, of course, leads to increased maintenance, need for more parts, wear and tear, the increased in industrial production which would not otherwise take place, strains the environment to some degree on its own, as does, does the added water of worn, added waste of worn parts. Ethanol is a total loser. We should advocate the total elimination. And, and if ethanol can't survive on its own without government interference, then it needs to be knocked into dead and give, given a good burial. Right. Why should we support certain products? We give farmers to help them with certain products and other products. We don't. It's just unfair. So unfair. It says here the final line. Trump is probably the only person in position of power who has the intestinal fortitude to call ethanol what it is, a farce and a failure and do something about it. Unfortunately, he's done just the opposite. His latest move to double down on ethanol signif signifies that we're not going to see an end to it.
So, uh, okay. In, in a bit of good tax news, uh, L.A. people, which was a big shock because the L.A. teachers, school, L.A. school district teachers, went out on strike in January, and people in the community were so sympathetic, they said, hey, let's, let's raise money. This is a, too good to be true. People were supporting the teachers. I wouldn't have been. But uh, they went out on strike, and so... The powers that be in the unions and teachers thought, hey, we could pass a ballot measure to increase money that we need to improve the infrastructure of our city, of our uh, school campuses, and buy whatever we want to embellish them. The measure, uh, so they got a measure on the ballot, EE, it suffered a resounding defeat Tuesday. Uh, gaining only about 45% of voter approval with 100% of precincts reported. It needed a two-thirds majority to pass. So that's California law. When you want to raise taxes like that, it needs a two-thirds majority. Now, this is an interesting Democrat uh, mindset. Uh, it says, but instead of celebration of speeches at Tuesday night rally sounded a consistent theme of we'll get them next time. We're not going anywhere. Mayor Garcetti said pass or not tomorrow. We will roll up our sleeves and continue sleeves and continue to work. That's the difference. Republicans don't think that way. Democrats do. In other words, they get something passed or they, they present something. It gets rejected, but it didn't get rejected by everybody. So what they build on their, on their diverse base Right. So what were they going to do? How were they going to raise the money? It was called a parcel tax and it was a aggressive change of direction for district leaders. They rejected this uh, strategy less than a year earlier. And the the unified district demonstrated financial and academic pros progress. They also spoke of choosing an election time likely to have higher and more liberal turnout to give a tax message a measure a better chance of succeeding and they wanted plenty of time to run a campaign they were pointing toward presidential election of 2020 so that's what they wanted they were going to get a head of steam but they pushed and and did this first election sooner but measure ee would have imposed a levy of 16 cents per square foot of indoor space on property so if you had, you can figure it out. Just round it off to the nearest figure. Maybe you're, you're close to 2,000 or close to 1,500. So it was imposed a levy of 16 cents per square foot of indoor space on a property, excluding parking areas, and raised an estimated $500 million over its 10-month, a 12-year term for the district. But now, even though they felt a lot of positive vibes from the uh, the folks, they uh, it went down soundly to defeat, not even close to th two thirds vote. So, uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff. Let's see. All right, we got a few minutes here, so. 
the with the fight with Trump, the Democrats constantly say they're promoting a lot of things, passing a lot of things. They really aren't. They've done very little in the two years that Trump was there, except try to shoot him, impeach him, hope he goes to prison, uh, any matter of evil things. And he's been investigated with some of the top attorneys and investigators in the United States came out squeaky clean. I wonder how many of you out there could have the number of investigators and thousands of hours and something like 15 or 20, $25 million in revenue to fund your operation. And you just pick out some, I wonder how many of you could actually have that level of investigation against you, how you do on that. So, um, so what's happening is that Trump has been attacked the entire time he's been in there. It was all plotted out. Just prior to him being sworn in, uh, Barack Obama was at the at the table directing the affairs. So recently, the House Democrats, instead of waiting or instead of okaying what the some of the conservatives wanted to do, they start they uh, drew up their own amnesty bill that would grant illegal Im- immigrants ten years of legal residence. If they were to meet certain requirements, after which they would receive permanent green cards after completing two years of higher education or military service or after working for three. Pretty much the vote went along partisan line, except seven Republicans voted in favor of the amnesty bill, while no Democrats voted against it. So, in other words, every single Democrat voted for it. And seven Republicans switched over to vote it, vote for it as well. Seven Republicans. I don't know whether you, any of you listening are in their district. They aren't my district. But we have Dan Bacon, Republican, Nebraska. Mario Diaz-Balart, Republican, Florida. Brian Fitzpatrick, Republican, Pennsylvania. Will Hurd, H-U-R-D, Republican, Texas. Dan Newhouse, Republican, Washington. Chris Smith, Republican New Jersey, and Fred Upton, Republican, uh, I think, I don't know whether that's, not sure whether that's Maryland or Michigan. Anyway, there, there's your seven Republicans that, uh, I, I don't understand it. Obviously, they're not that conservative, and it just makes, it makes crazy sense. So um, we have a serious, incredibly serious, harmful, poisoning water, people dying, people being assaulted uh, amongst the Latino people coming up. They're ruthless with each other. So um, I'm glad you listened. Let's see. Let me just make a few wrap-up comments. We'll be back uh in, uh, I think, 6th to June 15th. We're doing every Saturday and should be up about this time uh, that you're listening to. It should be, we're trying to do consistent. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, it's Lou, L-O-U, at church, uh, Lou at com, And you can go to that website and get any previous edition, er, any previous episode back to st- uh week one uh as well as the articles that i've written so uh 
tell somebody else about us if you like what we're doing. And maybe there's somebody that was listening before, but they kind of lost their way. And uh, give them a shout out, and we'll uh, we'll give it a, we'll give it a go here. We'll keep going until we can't keep going. So thank you for listening, and we're gonna call it a day. Uh, if you find a person out there that's really kind of special, you never met them before, and they're really kind to you, be cap- be careful to entertain them properly because you may be entertaining an angel and not even know it. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody.